0: I have a lot of amazing friends, okay? And some of them are mega church pastors. And some of them have a soft spot for celebrity pastors. And and some of them even challenge me on some of my ideas, who would have thought? And so today we're going to have a very necessary conversation um my brother my friend i've known this dude for over a decade uh we do uh dirty bokes together in the gym and get fat uh, claiming to work out ladies and gentlemen without any further ado we have the man the myth the legend daniel golding man it is good to be here brother all right all right so daniel uh you pastor at one of the fastest growing churches in america so these are your people okay these are your people all right. Uh, tell us where you pastor. Tell us the size of the church, and then we'll get into the conversation here. I'm going to adjust something on my end while you, while you talk to the people real quick.
1: That's fair. Yeah. So I am the teaching pastor at a church out in Gilbert, Arizona. We're actually technically in Queen Creek. So shout out Queen Creek, Arizona. where are all the you know best of the best live. Um, church is called Rock Point, and it, it's been just an amazing thing. Um, we just had Christmas services. We did 10 services, and it feels weird just throwing out a bunch of numbers. But we had just under 13,000 people that showed up over the 10 services, 600 decisions for Christ. So you said how many? Just under 13,000 people.
0: Holy moly! Yeah, okay, it was try not awesome. to look at that chat. Try to, we should get the other chat going because oh. you're looking, try to look at me. There you go. Okay. <laughs> that's that's it. Daniel's uh, like, Oh, there's a there's a chat. And Jeff Moore's comment. Jeff Moore's is in so, the house. Yeah, What'd Jeff say?
1: He's just saying that I want to be a celebrity pastor he, or something. I mean, hey, so you, got,
0: you have the archetype. You you are the avatar. You you're know, tall. You're handsome. Right? Doing you're, what I can. You have tattoos. That's right. Yep. <laughs> Daniel has really good tattoos. <laughs>
1: All the intangibles. All so. the
0: intangibles. He's working on a six-pack like I am.
1: That's, that's right, man. Once I get there, then I think I'll we, have celebrity pastor locked in.
0: <laughs> we'll never show the D route, though.
1: <laughs> no, we'll the, the D route is only that, that. for that. Jeff Moore's. Whoa! Whoa,
0: <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Shout out to Pastor Jeff. Uh, he'll be on the channel as well. It's super fun having pastors on. Those of you guys yeah. that are in Arizona, now you have a point of contact. If you're looking for a church, check out uh, North Point. Is that what it's called? Rock Point. Rock, Rock close Point. Yeah, close enough. Yeah. <laughs> close enough. <laughs> <laughs> enough. yeah. North, North point. point is Andy yeah. Stanley. Yeah. Rock That's Point. Right. Um, I've been to Rock Point. Dope church. You guys got a new building. You said you had 13,000 people yeah. in attendance for Christmas. Yeah, that's insane. So you have no quarrels with big church?
1: I, I don't at all. And like Rue said, I'm usually the one playing devil's advocate. Always with him playing devil's advocate, pushing back against stuff because Rue sits in his little dark box right here, and you know <laughs> solves all of the world's church problems. <laughs> Well, we're actually out in the streets doing this thing. So <laughs> while
0: well, you're actually out air preaching. That's right. In the
1: parking lot. <laughs> That's right.
0: <laughs> Yo, Okay. <laughs> so yeah, I literally spit out my tea when you yeah, said that. That was good. That was funny. Okay. So, um, we talked about uh, you saw the Mike Todd video. I did. And um I had some critique for Mike Todd. Um me well, before we get into the Mike Todd, what people don't know is me and Daniel worked on staff at the same church. That's right. Let me adjust your camera a little bit because it's bothering me me one sec. You're good. Don't move. There we go. There we go. Okay. <clears throat> oh, oh yeah. He roasts me all the time. My, my my friends are allowed to roast me. You in the chat, not so much. Okay. So, That's right. Uh, what people don't know is we were on staff at a church before, and uh, you actually got me hired at the church. I've told a story about... Um, how I got hired. Maybe we'll tell that story at the end of this video because I think that's a very practical story. But um, me and you actually came up like huge fans of Stephen Furtick.
1: Huge, yeah, man, and even before Furtick, it was uh, Mark Driscoll. Mark Driscoll, you know, Mark Driscoll was the man mm-hmm. when I was newly saved, and yeah, we were huge fans. Yeah, huge, huge fans of everything they were doing, and
0: so we yeah. have a soft spot. I have a soft spot for Stephen Furtick. <laughs> Let's be careful with the we statements. Okay,
1: <laughs>
2: okay, okay.
0: I have a soft spot for celebrity pastors, for sure. I think there's a utility for them. I just think some of sometimes they jump out of out of out of all kinds of wild statements and sure. never really reeled them back in. Um, we were also in the same small group. Yep. What year was that?
1: Man, I think we started that, or I joined into that probably 2012-ish, 2010, somewhere around there. It
0: was before that. You got married in 2009. You were already in a group yeah, for like that's a year fair. So 2008, 2007. Yeah. 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 So we were in the same group for a while. Um you, that was like a decade. It was a decade, yeah. For a long time. Yep, and then we both, we did young adults ministry for a while. We did. That, Do you remember
1: when we launched that young adults ministry? The I night of the to launch.
0: to block it all out.
1: Dude, it was Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> I don't know how in all the planning that we went to launch, like this whole buildup, this whole thing. We go to launch and we realize, dude, our service starts 30 minutes after the Super Bowl starts. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget, we like sold the vision to our team and had the worship team go out there. And I preached legitimately to a room of like three people. (laughs) That's right. That was our, that was like our big launch, man. That was, that was it.
0: (laughs) That's right. And, and you since then connected with uh, Pastor Jeff Morris, shout out to Jeff, who grew one of the biggest young adults ministries. And when you actually transitioned from the movement to Rock Point, you, you grew a massive young adults ministry.
1: Yeah, we literally, and Jeff knows, just copied and pasted. So we we copied the Jordan and just pasted it. And how many people did you guys
0: have showing up on it? Was it Tuesday or Thursday night?
1: It was Thursday nights, yeah. Yeah. So when I left and moved back to San Diego, um, it took us, it was about two and a half years. We had just crossed over 400
0: in weekly attendance. 400. And that took a, how long you said, two and a half years? About two and a half years, yeah. Sheesh. Yeah. Yeah, so, so like... Daniel is not a novice. He's an incredible communicator. You guys can look up his messages um, on um, Rock Point's YouTube channel. Yep. Um, and you'll even send me the messages sometimes and be like, hey, what do you think about this? Yeah. You know. And so um, this is not someone that's like a novice. This is not someone that hasn't been around. You've spoken at churches all over the country. You've spoken at tons of camps. Um, and you communicate regularly, again, yeah. at one of the fastest growing churches. Yeah. So when we talk about just macro idea of celebrity pastors, yep. Um and massive churches. What is kind of your like your thoughts on it? What is your assessment on these things?
1: Yeah, I, again, I think the, the challenge that I have is I don't think anybody, Mike Todd, Stephen Furtick, I don't think any of them set out to go, hey, my goal is to be a celebrity pastor, uh-huh. right? I think Mike Todd puts out a series and it goes viral, and next thing you know, this dude's spot is blowing up. Mm-hmm. And so I think from that premise, I look at it and I go, man, I think through the grace of God, I don't have as much talent as these dudes to Mm -hmm. be put in the situations where at a young age they're given just huge platforms and huge audiences that they didn't necessarily ask for, Mm -hmm. and I think it's really easy to throw stones at what they're doing, and in fairness, they definitely don't help themselves out in some regards, Mm -hmm. but I also think that these are humans and... For me, I look at it and go, man, I get nervous that I have to preach in front of, you know, a weekly attendance is probably 6,000 or so, Mm -hmm. and if you add the streams and stuff of people who replay sermons, maybe on a high end, 10,000 people are going to listen to my message. Mm -hmm. And that's like a terrifying thing. Mm -hmm. I couldn't imagine every single week, week in and week out, as a communicator going, millions of people are going to microanalyze everything I say in the next 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. You better be brilliant, you better be funny, and you have to do it 52 weeks in a row. Mm-hmm. So I, I start from the position of going, I think these guys have an insurmountable burden mm-hmm. that is a heavy load that I think collectively, as the global church, we can help carry and uh, steward. Yeah. Um, because clearly, and again, I think there's some debate on it, but there's a massive anointing on their life, and God is doing something, mm-hmm. right? So the Care- question careful is... Careful with that
0: word. They're, they're going to come <laughs> for you for using that word. The
1: question is, is is what, right? Okay. Um, so I guess that's the premise that I start from okay and I think that there's I don't think there's anybody that does anything perfect I think there's really poor small churches out there mm-hmm. I think there's really phenomenal small churches out there mm-hmm. so I, my discrepancy isn't or my issue isn't necessarily with the numbers I think there's amazing big churches mm-hmm. and there's terrible big churches mm-hmm. um, just like there's amazing small churches and terrible small churches
0: yeah 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 because that's that's also unhelpful too right like just because something is big therefore god can't be in it for sure right or just because it is big god therefore has to be in it we talked yeah. about ends justify the means type of thinking right thinking that That's just right. because god allowed in his providence for a church to get big that that means that he was a part of the entire journey
2: yeah. right
0: sometimes people get lucky sometimes it's you're at the right place at the right time sometimes you're cutting edge on a technology um so i i love that man i love your heart and i think you extending empathy to these guys that are in, in tough positions. Yeah. You know, I think it's really, is really uh it's good. It's good. And I understand you're not trying to um, offend your political connects, you know, just in case. That's right. You know, Mike Todd needs to get you to speak yeah. at Transformation exactly. Sunday Anytime. for White Sunday, you know? <laughs> just choke <joking> it <laughs> up.
1: Yeah, if he wants to set the bar low so he comes back and reminds everybody how good he is, fly me out and I can yeah. teach you that
0: week. Yeah. So, so you said something really interesting, and you said it would terrify me if I knew that, you know, hundreds of thousands of people were gonna be watching back my 45-minute talk or yeah. in Mike Todd's case, I mean his brother's going for an no. oh, hour and a half, two yeah. hours sometimes. Oh, crazy. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> so so my question would then be, when we were on a preaching team, yep. there was an actual team. Yep. Like I wasn't gonna go up there and jump out the window and say anything crazy, right? Like you guys would watch my usually we would kind of conceptualize the message together. Then you guys will make me say the whole message in front of you, yep. which is really awkward. Talk about a preaching to a room of four pastors, right? right? And, and there was multiple checks and balances before anything ever went up on a Sunday. And when we would when we would skip those checks and balances, a lot of times the messages didn't turn out great, right? That's yeah. when so, so if you have the self-awareness and the humility to say, man, I'm under pressure just preaching in front of 10,000, Wouldn't that logic also be extended to someone that is preaching in front of 100,000 or preaching in front of a million? Wouldn't we want to dot every I cross every T and not say sloppy things? And if we do say sloppy things, at the very least, come back around and correct it.
1: Uh, Yeah, 100%. In an ideal world, I would think of 1,000% yes. And again, I would also operate under the assumption that every one of these massive— you know, pastors that have these massive platforms mm-hmm. have something like that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The, I think the hard part becomes when these platforms grow so quickly and become so massive, there mm-hmm. becomes this thing, and and again, I, I've experienced it in different regards in different rooms, where it, it's hard to push back against the main guy mm-hmm. unless he's really intentional to create a culture of like, no, like beat these messages up, like mm-hmm. push back, there's a you can challenge, Yeah. whereas it, it more becomes a... That the like God's anointed one walks in the room, reveals his brilliance, and everybody just like, oh, that's the best thing I've ever heard. Yeah. And there isn't really so much of a challenge. And so, again, I don't know if it's a solution. And the other part that I, ha- the, the challenge that I have is we just don't know these guys' inner workings in their process. Mm-hmm. And I would love to hear what they go through, mm-hmm. right? And part of how I think we can remove the burden. It was something Julie Shecker taught me a long time ago mm-hmm. um, in preaching. Is you have to resist the urge to be brilliant. Mm. Right? I think that's the part that gets us in the most trouble. I think that there's like we do a Thursday uh, sermon programming meeting now, yep. and truly that room is what makes our messages good. It's that okay. collective room that okay. we flesh out the ideas together. There's you know pushback, there's discussion, there's mm-hmm. new ideas, there's mm-hmm. people in that room that don't look like me, that are different gender than me. Mm-hmm. And collectively we can walk through a process to mm-hmm. come up with a sermon that truly isn't my original idea. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I don't have to walk up and go, oh, I have all this pressure to see if my idea mm-hmm. is gonna land and get traction with people. It's like, mm-hmm. this is our collective idea, that we're gonna go and run with, right?
0: How many people are in the room? I'm just curious. It
1: depends, but probably 10 to ten to 12.
0: And are you walking through your entire message with them? Yeah, so you, it, it depends
1: on the week. Like there's some weeks that we'll walk in and if we're doing a series going through the book of Romans, you know you're in Romans four. So you come in and go, hey, here's the passage. Here's kind of what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. I was gonna use this intro or I don't have any idea how I'm gonna close this thing. Um, and then the room kind of fleshes it out, and you've got to get the you know production people, all mm-hmm. the stuff that they need to be yeah. able to get everything ready for the
0: yeah. And this is like, but webs. you it seems like you guys have developed a really healthy culture where you aren't the smartest one in the room.
1: Yeah, and and again, I think that that's something that you still as the people that are higher up on the organization chart, mm-hmm. you have to be really intentional to create that. Because mm-hmm. even in our context where we're, again, we're on the bigger side of churches, but we're not some massive thing that people know us internationally yeah. and whatever. Mm-hmm. But that's still, I've seen it play out in our small context mm-hmm. where there almost becomes this thing where it's like, oh, this is just his brilliant idea that we all have to get behind. Mm-hmm. and You have to constantly re-communicate the vision of like, no, this is where we kind of beat this thing up. and mm-hmm. we, um, I'm not the smartest person. I'm not coming yeah. here with all my brilliant ideas. I actually believe the room is smarter than me, right? It's the whole we is better than me. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just take that and you exasperate it into millions of followers, millions of views. Yeah. And, it, dude, it's just got to be such a bizarre, non-natural thing. I, I could not imagine trying to yeah.
0: steward that. Okay, so I'm going to bounce a couple theories off of you. Okay. And you and you tell me what you think about these. Okay. Okay. Theory number one, if many, not all, but many of the guys who are the top G celebrity celebrity pastors now were starting a year or two ago, I think they would be doing what I'm doing or something similar to what an Alan Parr is doing Mm. and not trying to pastor a local church. Sure. Fair assessment? I think it it could be. Yeah. Yeah. I think it could be. Yeah, because I think what happens is we know are you
1: saying that uh, up until a couple years ago there was no other medium there was, besides the local yes. church to do what they're doing? Yeah, yes.
0: I, fully agree. There was no th- I mean you could you could what? You could go to John A. Cuff route and be an author. Yeah. yeah. Right? And shout out to John A. Cuff, that's my guy. Like I love John. Yeah. Right. Um you could go the Dave Ramsey route and be a radio broadcaster. Which John A. Cuff did for which John like Acuff, two Acuff months, did with right? Dave Ramsey, yeah. right? Uh Dr. Michael Brown does that now. That you know that. You can go the Christian television route. Yeah. Right, which is like, ugh, who wants to be on T V N? Yeah. Right? Yeah, no like like who wants to be that guy? And so what happens? <laughs> you're a young guy, you're charismatic, you're talented, right? And you can communicate. You have the gift of gab, pastor. You know? And especially and, when you grow up in a church context. Especially when you grow up no in a church context. Yeah, no right? question. And so for me, um, I've always wanted to stay away from the label pastor because mm-hmm. i i have always saw which is kind of a segue into our next point i have always seen it as a pastor is titus chapter 1 a pastor is first timothy chapter 3 okay right um i'm i am i am uh i was a deacon at our church you know but like i was i was never given the title pastor nor did i ever want it <laughs> right like yeah. i didn't really want that right yeah. um and so you wanted that housing allowance. So I you wanted better, that. You I wanted that housing allowance. <laughs> Shout out to everybody that. in ministry. Y'all know what we're <laughs> talking about. The only they thing took that, that housing allowance for me. I was gone six months later. Uh, for those That's of you guys right. that don't know, uh, clergy in ministry get yeah. a housing stipend, and so like sometimes half of your income could be tax free.
1: Yeah, essentially, so. what it takes to run your household is the IRS allows it to be tax free. Yeah. Like back in the day, we had a parsonage.
0: Yeah, yeah, par- yeah, a parsonage. Yep, yeah. yep, yep, and yeah. So and that uh, allows pastors to not have to pay as much of taxes. And kind of yeah. relieve some It's of the, burden.
1: the only financial benefit of being in ministry. Yeah, that's, yeah. Because that, to one. be
0: fair, the work that pastors do versus the amount of pay per average, it's it's, it's wild. Peanuts. Yeah, it's it's wild. And so, um, um, and so and so, I think if content creation was an option, yeah, I feel like more of them would have just been content creators. Because I don't know anyone in their right mind that'd be like, yeah, I want to go build this big thing mm-hmm. where I'm the face of it. And, th- and I'm responsible for thousands of people, sometimes tens of thousands of souls in yeah. spiritual health. Like, that's a different... Like, I don't know why anybody would want that burden if you're just a good communicator and you're repeatedly exhibiting signs that you aren't very sound in doctrine. You aren't really a shepherd. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you aren't necessarily pastoring people uh, in, in your church. not to say every head pastor needs to pastor people individually, you should, but you should be pastoring somebody. You should be discipling somebody, right? Sure. And so that's my first kind of macro idea. The second idea, I was curious, is you you saw the video and I said, I think the word pastor in their context means something else than the word pastor does in kind of I I don't know what you would call, reformed and or evangelical and or Southern Baptist conservative context. When we say pastor, usually we're interchanging it with elder, um, with overseer, with bishop. Same qualifications. Same qualifications, but we'll still use the word youth pastor yeah. And we know, dag well, that junior high youth pastor ain't a pastor, <laughs> right? He's not an actual. He's barely saved. He's safe. barely saved. Like we just, we let him,
2: right. we let him just teach the gospel to That's himself right. in front of
0: junior high kids, right? Heck yeah, uh, I'm joking, right? But <laughs> mostly, <laughs> mostly. But so if we have, if we, if we, if, if these guys have a different view of that word, right? right. And and I've, right. And, I've, and I've and I've seen this. Like they'll be like, so are you a? Uh, um, I remember somebody asked me like, are you a, uh, a, a minister? And I was like, what, what, what do you mean? Like, yeah, I'm a minister. They're like, mm-hmm. no, 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 like are you like ordained by your church? I'm like, "Well, no, I'm not a pastor." And they're like, "No, no, no, like are you like a deacon?" And I'm like, "What? Like I'm so confused, but we literally use words different. Like we yeah. use these words different. If you're in more of a reformed conservative community, usually that word pastor is going to be used interchangeably with elder and or bishop." And if you're outside of that community, and I don't know which community does what, but there's definitely different words. So, no what question. do you what do you make of all that? Like, I'm assuming at your church, like if someone's a pastor, they're viewed as an as an elder. If you're ordained yeah. as a so, pastor.
1: Uh, yeah, because we're we're non denominational, um, but we fall. We're a part of an association where there's no you know theological governance that mm-hmm. we have to fall into. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. if we had to, we're essentially a Baptist church is the closest to us. And mm-hmm. so with a lot of that stuff, we lean pretty conservative in there. And mm-hmm. so one of the challenges is you can't even be ordained at our church unless you've been in full-time vocational ministry at a pastor or director level for at least 5 years.
0: Wow. Um,
1: wow. And so that's yeah, that's one of the things that and again, it doesn't affect your pay, it doesn't affect it just it changes how we visibly Mm -hmm. um put you out there Mm -hmm. right to just go hey this is our director and then at five years there's an ordination process you go through to become a pastor because for us we do believe that those qualifications that we see Mm -hmm. are for pastors Mm -hmm. right they are those standards are what we're called to live to Mm -hmm. um and it it takes time to get there for us it's a big deal we don't want it to be what it kind of was when i got ordained at, at our church it was like oh yeah, like you got the job and they like gave me a sword. <laughs> you
0: know? I remember that. Yeah. yeah it yeah. was weird. Yeah. yeah. It was weird. Yeah. So how do you feel about a lead pastor of a church that might be like, yeah, like I don't like Titus one and eh, not really like I don't even have kids yet or I'm not even married yet. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, In terms of like running your household, making sure your household is good. How do you feel about that? subculture where folks are using the title pastor, but maybe they're not. And and, and granted, there's a, there's a wide spectrum right? Yeah, that's there, what I was going to say. Right? you yeah, broad strokes. Um, yeah, like Stephen Furtick has been pastoring for 20 years, right? Mm-hmm. That that dude went through Southern Seminary. He was initially very solid when he started, and I could see him having uh, seeing that. But even then, like, I felt like, man, that dude was like 28, 29 when they planted Elevation, yeah. you know? Um. Yeah. Anyway, so what do, you, what do you think about that? Like, someone that's n- clearly not an elder uh, yeah. holding the title pastor.
1: I think you're Outside of the nuanced conversation of knowing details and who's involved and all of that, I think uh, as a blanket statement, it's a pretty dangerous territory. Mm -hmm. You're walking in—there's a reason these qualifications are set up, right? Because there's this inherently dangerous thing that comes with any platform, but specifically the platform of a pastor, Mm -hmm. is it's a— Again, it's not flesh and bones that we wage war with, but it's spirits and principalities. And you enter into a new level of spiritual attack. There's a reason that these things are in place for mm-hmm. um, there to be accountability, for there to be checks and balances. Mm-hmm. Because again, the the body of Christ is supposed to be this beautiful example of Jesus and his relationship with us. Yeah, yeah that's and good. And with all of those things and all the exceptions, almost exclusively... In the U.S., we see all these celebrity pastors that have blown up, and obviously in different westernized countries it's happening as well. Mm-hmm. But it's a really bizarre thing, and I think we've created um, a really dangerous thing that is now leading us into this post-church world that we're now entering into. Mm. Right?
0: Where That's people, interesting, you drew a line between uh, the two. You draw a line between celebrity pastor culture and post-church culture, like unpack yeah, that for I don't,
1: me. I don't know if it's necessarily just the celebrity pastor thing but i think it's the celebrity pastor thing it's the idea that anybody can start a church there's really no standards to it you can do your own thing the idea of what a pastor is to just culture you go ask somebody man. post on instagram like what's your viewpoint of churches and pastors and um unfortunately it's all these people that have had these terrible moral failures or the people on the far other end of the fringes that are just saying crazy obnoxious things That's become the face of the church Mm. to a world that doesn't know who Jesus is. Mm -hmm. Um, And people are walking away from their faith in droves to a point that, you know, there's surveys showing that by like 2050, we will be, Christians will be a massive minority. 20, 25% of the population will say that they're Christian at that point. Mm. Um, And so I think it's all of these things combined that have created this really... I think incredible opportunity for those of us that are in this world, that are in this work, and you know have given our lives to serving the church. I think it, it's created an incredible opportunity for us, but it's also created some really murky waters. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how the next few generations play out.
0: Yeah, what are you? What are your thoughts? Me and you've gone back and forth on this. Like, I take issue with the evangelical industrial complex. Yeah, right. And like we've I have talked t- about this. Take issue with like just just that entire system. You know, of yeah. like. Like, come speak at my thing, and I'll come speak at your thing. And there becomes this, like, club no of guys that are kind of all on each other's boards, and and then the conferences around it, and then the festivals around the conferences, and then the tours, and all this sort of stuff. Um, I, I, I don't know if, when you're talking about people being unchurched, like, I don't know if that adds a net positive or a net negative to everything.
1: Yeah, and again, we've talked about this, where— I, again, there's a lot of it that I look at and I go, yeah, a lot of this is really weird, right? Mm -hmm. Same guys speak at each other's conferences all year. We all pay a bunch of money. And most of the time it's pastors flying around and going to these things, Mm -hmm. right, that that are worshiping at the altar of these dudes. Mm -hmm. And if you were to go to eight different conferences around the country in 2023 and Mm -hmm. see the same guys, you're going to hear the same talk, right? Mm -hmm. They typically have one conference talk to go around and they do. And it's a great money-making thing for them, and I also believe that they they think that they're doing some positive good. I think they're probably just trying to pay their bills and feed their kids. Mm. Now, I look at a lot of that and I go, I don't know how helpful this is. Mm. I haven't been a conference dude for a long time now. Mm. There's There's much more practical things that pastors can do to get training, but where you and I have a bit of a disagreement where we've had pushback is you would even go to a church of our scale and size and ask questions of like, Hey, is this a net positive? Mm -hmm. Right. And we've had those discussions, Mm -hmm. which, again, I think is a healthy discussion to have. I think the part that I've always appreciated about our friendship and relationship is we just have conversations and push back. And I think that the truth is somewhere in the middle. I I don't think that having things just stand alone as these uh, altars you can't touch or these things you can just never speak about. I think that's a really dangerous thing that leads you into some weird places. But. I look at our church because again, if you look at us, we are a Christian industrial complex. We are a large organization with a large staff. We have mm-hmm. over 100 staff members. Mm-hmm. You know, we bring in millions of dollars, and when you, when if somebody were to come in and micro analyze where that money goes, mm-hmm. the bulk of that money, just like any church and nonprofit, is going to go to facilities and staffing, mm-hmm. right? The staff that we have. And so somebody's like, well, none of the money actually goes to feeding the homeless, right? Which was kind and, of my critique. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Right, and taking care of the orphans and the widows. Mm -hmm. And where I always push back is that, well, what is the primary purpose of us as the ecclesia, right, Mm -hmm. as the local body? Mm -hmm. I believe our primary purpose is to be a place where the gospel is preached, Mm -hmm. right? And that's what we exist to do. Can you do that without a massive church? Sure. Mm -hmm. But where, again, I start to push back a little bit as we go, hey, we just had over the 10 Christmas services we did— Six hundred people, and again, we can debate the decision for Christ sure, and what sure, all sure. that matters. Yeah. Six hundred people filled out a thing saying that they made a decision to say yes for Jesus. Mm-hmm. So for me, I look at that and go: at that level of scale, that's hard to do with you and I in our homes, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so, I think there's a level of that where um, I don't think one is bad or good. Mm-hmm. I think that that God can use all of the
0: above. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think that the tough part. I think generally people will say. Well, are people getting plugged in to small groups? Are people getting discipled? Is there accountability for how the funds are spent? Sure. Right? And so I think there's a lot of churches that do amazing stuff. Like, uh, yeah. I'm going to have Pastor Chris Brown on from North Coast next week, or next Wednesday. I want to talk to you out offline. Like, I think that's a great—this is Pastor Daniel Golding, if you're mm-hmm. just tuning in from Rock Point— uh, church in Gilbert Arizona technically not Gilbert it's Queen it's Creek Queen Creek, Queen Creek. We're literally uh, across the street is across Gilbert. the street yeah. uh so you guys can look him up check out his church um so I think when I when I see pastors who uh when we look at the macro and I think there are pastors that do a good job sure Chris Brown and North Coast I think he said at one I think they're like 90 percent of their church is in a it's small over 90, group yeah that's crazy yeah right I think of a—this might be a controversial one for some of you guys— Rich Wilkinson's church, right? Like, he wasn't taking a salary for the longest, and then they were—I think only 30% of their budget was going to, like, facilities and uh, buildings. But they also had a building given to them, and he's also, you know, connected with the Kardashians and all that stuff, right? But I just think there's there's, there's, also—there's models where— when you think of like Voo Church, like you definitely think of like amazing community work that they're doing in places like Liberty City and in places like that. And so the context of, uh, I guess, my statement was like, it's not that like, oh, yo, every dollar got to go back out, right? Yeah. It's it's more so like if we know we're dealing with people that are jaded towards the evangelical industrial complex. I just gave words to something that we all kind of feel innately, sure. right? Not I, but it's a, it's a term that's been floating around for a while. I think one of the things that could help mitigate some of that is to do more philanthropy and do more work to help people. And and it, by the way, this is something I think Mike Todd does a killer job at. Hundred percent You know what I mean? Like I yeah. think Mike Todd crushes it well, at, at giving uh, money to he gave a million dollars to this church, a million a dollars bunch, to that yeah, church. Yep. He's giving away like I think that's 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 beautiful, you so know? I think a big part of it is the
1: church has kind of operated under the model that it's it's not so much like secret, but they just don't talk about a lot of stuff. And so people do what they do, and they fill in the blanks, Mm -hmm. right? And they fill in the gaps with what they suppose is happening. They yes. see a pastor drive in on a car that's yes. more than a hoopty, yep. and they're like, oh, he's taking all the money. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like, if people just knew, like truly, if somebody were to sit down and walk through, all of our finances are public record because mm-hmm. we're a nonprofit. You yep. can come in and request to yep. see all of it. Yep. You can see salaries, yeah. you can yep. see, and we do have a board that mm-hmm. oversees all of that. We have a team of, a separate financial team that, also then submits the budget numbers, and they see everything. Mm -hmm. And I know multiple guys that are on there that are brilliant with money. They're the ones that first oversee it, then it goes to the elders for the final approval, Mm -hmm. and then that gets handed to the staff to see and run and and to be dealt with. But if somebody were to sit down and understand it and see it, you would go, oh, this makes so much more sense. But the church hasn't been very forthright with it. And Mm -hmm. so the, the world we're moving into is going to force the church, if we're really gonna go after reaching lost people, than not just having sheep bounce around from different churches and getting more Christians in our church. Yeah, a, a big part of it is going to have to be we have to. And I'm not saying hey every week we just print out you know dollar for dollar. I mean there's churches
0: happening. that do that too by the way. so I don't Baptist think churches a, do that. I don't yeah. think
1: it's a terrible thing to have yeah. some resource on your website to go look. Just go here and you can see exactly. Where it is, um, and be much more transparent with it because it's it's not as crazy as people think,
0: right? It's not. I think it's just we've heard the horror stories of the rise and fall of Mars Hill, which you know I'm friendly with Driscoll today, you know what I mean? But like you hear those horror stories and you hear how the funds were spent and books and budgets and trips and you know what I mean? Like you hear those things and so then you wonder like, well, wait a minute, should this stuff be? spent with tithe money, right? Like it's yeah. a little different if it's like, hey, like we threw a concert and or whatever. We threw a conference and then their money came in. Yeah. Um, I think I think that's where people will, will tend to have an issue. And I don't think there's anything wrong. I, I think it would be ideal to share transparently. This is what came in. Yeah. This is what went out. This is, you know what I mean? This is what we spent on staffing, what we spent on building, what we spent on this. I think that's healthy. Like, would you agree?
1: Yeah. And and again, I think most churches do some type of annual report and give that out in in big chunks, right? Again, I look at, when you look at a lot of these stories the Mike Todd, the Stephen Furtick, the Mm. Mark Driscoll, what it is is young guys that started a church that were massively talented and skilled, and it just blew up to Mm. a point that. I look at that and I go, man, I, I, one of the greatest things that I'm thankful for is that I had an opportunity when we were doing stuff at the movement mm-hmm. to just be able to pastor and grow and learn in obscurity, that mm-hmm. I wasn't good enough, that I blew up out of nowhere, um, that God was uh, smart enough to know, like, hey, bro, you need to sit in the back and just do this with nobody around for a mm-hmm. long time and preach at Young Adults Ministry with four people, mm-hmm. um, because you get to develop it over a long period of time, yeah. right? Like, I look at the chuck smith in calvary chapel and it's like he's known for this thing that blew up but they forget that this dude pastored a church of 200 people for like 20 years before it blew up and so now you see why he was able to be so healthy and it probably wasn't perfect yeah but as i look at the stories that play out over and over and over again yeah a lot of them have the theme of a really young charismatic dude that started something and it just absolutely exploded and there's thousands and thousands of people millions and millions of dollars in everybody, again, the part that I, I appreciate the most about Chris Brown is he talks about, man— People think that that two minutes that they see me on stage, they think that that's who I am. That's not who I am. Mm. But if I'm not careful, I will begin to believe what they're saying. And I'll mm-hmm. begin to believe that, yes, the best part of my presentation, that is who I am. This is where I should find my identity. Yeah. And it's such a slippery slope, man. It's such a subtle foe mm-hmm. that I don't think people appreciate it enough. Yeah. It, it's a, Dude, it's a tough thing to have a skill set where you can stand in front of A couple thousand people at a time Mm -hmm. hold their attention for forty-five minutes. Be funny, Mm -hmm. exegete a passage, Mm -hmm. make it applicable to their lives, make it you know succinct enough, and then walk off and go. But remember, that's not about you. You can't have any type of pride. You got to be super humble. Like, dude, it's it's a it's
0: a grind. I don't know if your brain knows the difference.
1: Well, and it's it's just such an unnatural physiological thing. Oh yeah, all of our biology is when you walk into a room and there's everybody staring at you. through evolution, we've learned, like, hey, and I know I use the word evolution. People yeah. probably get me for that one. Yeah. But it's like you learn this means I'm about to be attacked. Yeah. Yeah. By these people are coming for me. And yeah. so you start to have a physiological response to yep. it. Yeah. You know, it's like it's such an unnatural thing mm-hmm. that we've created, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. Yeah. But some of the stuff we have in the church model mm-hmm. is we have completely elevated the position of being a pastor. Yeah. Um, and, it's, and if you're not somebody that is naturally relational, mm-hmm. that pursues relationships with people who aren't impressed by you, mm-hmm. you can unintentionally become that guy that really begins to believe yeah. all the hype of what people are saying about you.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's good, man. And, mm-hmm. and, and again, like when I go back to the content creator thing, I think this is one of the things that's like, Amazing about YouTube. No question. Me and you are having this conversation, and there's 553 people here right now, right? And there's probably going to be tens of thousands that watched a replay of this. And my, it's just a number on the screen to me. Yeah. I don't. You know. I don't. the, The flip side of that is like you don't really know the the weight and the impact of what you do, of what I would do on the on the. Other side, right? Yeah. Like you know, like, yo, I'm from 10,000. people. This is crazy. I'm anxious. I got butterflies in my stomach. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's I, way different. I gotta go pee a bunch of times right before I go on stage, <laughs> right? <laughs> if anybody that's preaching, that's me. I got I got to pee like that's 10 right. times. But the other the flip side of like this is like it's just numbers on a screen. And I try to go out of my way to meet as many people and interact with as many people to, to just remind me, like, yo, these are real people being really yeah. impacted. Um you, you mentioned something else. You 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 mentioned 20, you know, Ferdick being 28. Um, I think Mike Todd was in his late 20s, early 30s. Yep. Driscoll being, tw- if we see this pattern of guys in their late 20s yeah. starting these things and the bumpy roads in the process, wouldn't we then say, "Hey, let's 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 all be more cautious of maybe not pl- platform." Like I would never attend yep. the church of a guy in his late 20s again. Yeah. Like if you're 28, 29, yeah. starting a church, I would I would never go to a church. I would never go to a church of a single guy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um. I, I I just wouldn't. I'm not saying God can't use it. That's again yeah, it's a yeah, different, right? Yeah. There's the providence of God, God can use whoever and whenever and, and, and does use a lot of things for the for the good. But Amen. if we know that like this is messy, wouldn't we then be more cautious to create guardrails for the guy that's twenty eight and twenty yeah, nine? So
1: I think the real question is is why have we continued to create the same person time and time. Same and avatar. Time again, yeah, yeah, we love the story of a meteoric rise, yep. and we also love the story of a catastrophic fall. Uh, and so th- I think there's an element of it where we have to ask ourselves the question corporately Mm -hmm. as the body of christ why have we how have we created this and Mm -hmm. made this the environment where this is almost the standard if Mm. you have any level of talent and charisma Mm -hmm. that this thing is just going to blow up and become massive Mm -hmm. um and we love it Mm. right i think that that's the really peculiar part where it's so easy to point fingers at it but it's like well who's attending these churches and going to these things it's it's the church, right? It's yeah. the people, and we just keep creating the same yeah. cycle over and over and over again. You remember when we were twenty eight years old, dude? Yeah,
0: man. <laughs> like, yes. like, bro. You know, yeah. I mean, and, and again and again, me and you have pretty rough testimonies. Yeah. You know, you were you were doing drugs, and you was out here wilding out. Yeah, was. I was out, you know, up until Seventeen. I had a really rough upbringing. So so maybe it would have yeah. been different if we were in a church. But, like, I couldn't imagine for the. I'm gonna be 38 on Saturday, and yeah. you're 37 because you're a year younger than me, right? I'm 34, dog. Whoa!
2: I'm, wait, I know. I'm, I'm
1: young.
0: Yeah. You're 34? That's bro. right. Yeah. Gosh, I feel so old. <laughs> it's because you are.
2: I always thought you were like a year younger than me. I forgot you were a
0: Cu- couple years. Four years younger than me. Okay. <laughs> what,
2: year, what year did you graduate high
0: school? 06. Gosh, dong. Yeah. Okay. So it's three 30, years younger six. than me in high school years. There you go. In doggy years. Yeah. Okay. But could you imagine starting a church at 28? No. Like you're 34 and it's like, "Wait, like there's a lot of weight to this." Yeah. I'm 37, about to be 38. I want nothing to do with ever starting a church, right? I would love to be a part of something and just be in someone's corner as someone's just coach or cheerleader. Like I'm yeah. totally down for that. And hey, if you need me to preach occasionally, I'm down. I don't need to get paid. Yeah. But to but to want to start a church at 20 in your mid 20s, bro. Yeah. Again,
1: I think I think you bring up a good point, though. I think a lot of people... What happens in ministries, you just hit the ceiling really quickly. Mm-hmm. As a talented guy in any church organization, mm-hmm. you hit a ceiling pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't have good leaders around that can create margin for you in that mm-hmm. organization, which, mm-hmm. again, is hard to do, yeah. um, you start to realize there's not a ton of options for me, mm-hmm. right? And most church plants, a lot of them, obviously they, they feel the prompting of God, mm-hmm. but a big part of the prompting of God is like, well, I'm at a ceiling here, mm-hmm. so how do I go and get out of the ceiling? Mm-hmm. I go and start my own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think part of it is this, hey, we as the church can share the pulpit. Part of what I love about our senior pastor yeah. is he's very, um, he's not holding on to the pulpit. Like, it's his thing to do. He really has grown The the wild part about our church is for the last five or six years, Mm -hmm. we've been like the fastest growing church in Arizona, one of the fastest in the country, Mm -hmm. but we've also been a church for 22 years, Mm -hmm. right? And for 15 of those years, I wasn't even a part of it, but Mm -hmm. our senior pastor was preaching week in and week out, right? And kind of leading a church of 1,000 to 1,500 people Mm -hmm. in a level of obscurity. Mm -hmm. And so out of that, there was this healthy foundation that was built Mm -hmm. that I think we're now reaping the harvest of um but not everybody gets to do that and mm-hmm. you know h- how the providence of God works and all of that is a yeah. is a wild thing he's yeah. at 28 you're just so ambitious
0: you are man yeah. you you are ambitious and you lack wisdom
1: you don't know what you don't know yeah you know yeah. it's 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 literally the book of Ecclesiastes yeah. played
0: out if you're a pastor in here I want to hear from you guys like some of you guys said you were pastoring lead pastoring at 25 like you planted a church at 25. I'm not saying there's not exceptions to the rule. I'm just saying, man, Jesus didn't start his earthly ministry till he was 30, and he was Jesus, that's bro. Right. You know, <laughs> like this is Jesus, and you guys are starting churches at 25 and like rocking out for real, high school graduate, not go to college. But Jonas, you you are the head pastor. I'm not talking about youth ministry. I'm not talking about young adults ministry. I'm not talking about right. I'm talking about you start. You started your own church at 25. Please confirm that. That's that's wild to me. And how is it going? How is it going? You know, because because here's here's my thing. Um, head pastor at twenty seven. Okay, yeah, that's that's wild. Is it, are you under covering a denominational? Like, are you uh, SBC? Are you it, like did you did you get sent out or did you just self proclaim yourself to be a lead pastor of a church and just yeah. go? <laughs>
1: Again, I think with with good guardrails in place with real accountability. Yeah. But the hard part. It's so easy to start something. Yeah. And just go out on your own. Have some loose affiliation. Yeah. And there's a lot of organizations out there that are willing to throw money at church planters. Oh too, yeah, you know, yeah. Well, so. church
0: church re- rejuvenation now is a thing too. Yeah. Go in and take over a church, get, you know, take their building, their real estate, and redo it all. Um, I think I think again, I think God can use that. I just think it's the exception and not the rule. And I think yeah. when you guys are like, I'm 25, I'm going to be a head pastor. I just go, all right, right, man. Well, so the flip side right
1: now too, the the other side of the coin, just to kind of play devil's advocate, is we're also about to see. Right. There's all of these baby boomer senior pastors right now that got saved in the Jesus movement Mm -hmm. that are all now getting ready to retire. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them have built pretty decently sized churches. Oh, yeah. And there's no succession plans in place. And that's sad. And there's no pastors that are running to take over these churches.
0: (sighs) And I just go, what kind of pastor are you? If common there's obsession. no one you're training up underneath you to take this thing over dude it's it's way more common than you would isn't that sad though it's it's
1: heartbreaking yeah it's, it's like if you want
0: to retire at sixty sixty five even seventy and you have no young bucks around you that you've been pouring into for the past couple years that maybe you've sponsored to send them to Bible college or seminary like yeah I don't know man that just sounds that just sounds sad it, it's all too common because again it's a uh,
1: that the tension between the main communicator and the secondary communicator, mm-hmm. again, right now, I'm 20 years younger, essentially, than our senior pastor, mm-hmm. and so there could be an element of it from his standpoint, and he's not at all, like, our, our senior pastor is amazing, mm-hmm. but there could be a thing of, like, he gets envious or weird with me. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's how it was at the church mm-hmm. out here, yeah, yeah, yeah. where it's like, oh, you're too good, and mm-hmm. people like you. They like you more than me, mm-hmm. and so... You know, that used to happen at the church we were on Safet together where he would then go, why do you want my job? Mm. I'm like, what are you talking about, bro? Mm-hmm. Like, I just preached when you told me to preach. Like, what you want me to suck, yeah. you know? And so there becomes almost this, I can't set you up for success because it means my demise. Yeah, my, my, my job's
0: in jeopardy. So it takes mm. a really
1: secure leader to go, this isn't mine. Mm. Um, This is... Something that God has asked me to steward, yeah. and I know that at some point there'll be a transition, and I want to think about that now. And we're, you know, our senior pastor is ten years away or so from retirement, and mm-hmm. he's already talking through potential succession plans mm-hmm. and talking through what that would look like, and yeah. um, and I think it's healthy, but it takes a really secure leader to do that. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know,
0: yeah. But- <clears throat> I think the tough part is when it comes to. Pastors and ministry in general. I think most people don't have the slightest clue of what it takes and how hard it is. Hundred percent physically, mentally, spiritually, and and then when pastors are compensated nicely, which I think they should be, yeah. I think um, then people feel away, and it's like you you have not the slightest clue of what a pastor goes through on the day to day basis. Yeah. Can you give us some of just that backstory of like just a, the yeah. pressures of like one. Kind of some of the things you've experienced in ministry and then maybe some of the stuff you're going through in your current role as a pastor at a mega church.
1: Yeah, man. Again, it's no matter what you do, you don't make enough money for some people. You make too much money for other people. Mm -hmm. Um, And you have this really weird role that nobody really understands. They Mm -hmm. see you one day out of the week and assume that that, you know, 35-minute message, that's the totality of your job. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I come down to is, man, I know and live life with lots and lots and lots of pastors, 99% of them are the most amazing people that I've ever met Mm -hmm. That are working extra jobs Mm -hmm. To be able to pay the bills Mm -hmm. That are trying to do everything they can To love and shepherd the congregation that God has given them Mm -hmm. To love and lead their families really well Most of them are trying to figure it out And just go, man, I I feel inadequate to do this Mm -hmm. I don't know you know, how best to do this, I don't know what decisions to make, because you've got to be a combination of a great communicator, you've mm-hmm. got to be a visionary, mm-hmm. you've got to be able to lead your staff, you've got to make strategic decisions. Yep. And there's almost this culture that's being created because of, I think, of a lot of different factors that yeah. almost feels like you also have to do this alone. Just go into your private prayer closet, come out, be brilliant, give us your messages. Give, us your, us, give be, us your weekly TED Talk. That's right. Just <laughs> and Just wow us, man. We just want to be around God's anointed. Yeah. yeah. And the truth is, is there, there are a handful of those guys in the country that are just yeah. bonkers, man. Yeah. But most of the, most of the pastors that I know, the people, if they got to spend a week with them and walk around and just mm-hmm. see how they live their life, they would mm-hmm. go, man, these are really good dudes that are trying, you know, guys and girls that are trying to do their best to love the people that God has put in front of them. Yeah. And so all these wild outlandish stories and people paint with these broad strokes, I'm like, it's because you don't know these people, mm-hmm. right? And most of them are doing everything they can to try mm-hmm. to just get through. Are there some bad apples in it? Yes. Mm-hmm. It's like every other profession out there. There's mm-hmm. always going to be bad apples. Mm-hmm. But most of them are incredibly faithful yeah. people yep. that have sacrificed a lot to be here, that yep. could go probably make a lot more money in other industries mm-hmm. that could go out and, you know, do other stuff. But yep. God has called them to this vocation mm-hmm. and it's one of those things man where it's like when you've been called to ministry it's the most amazing and at times frustrating thing in the world.
0: Yeah. And 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 to be clear specifically it with you. Yeah. Like you were a top sales guy yeah. just recently and you were making Double, right? Double than what you were making as a pastor when you were growing up. Three or four times. Three or four four times what you're making as a pastor now. So, because it's such a unicorn of a skill set, like to be able to communicate, to be able to teach, to be able to persuade, to be able to know a little bit of tech, to be able to lead and manage people, it's such a unicorn of a skill set. So, I've always been very adamant and even you know, I'm, I've been, intent, been in, intentionally p- platforming more pastors and, yeah. and showing more pastors so that, like, hey, if they're in Arizona, they can go check you out or they can go check, check out Trey Van Camp, right? Um, yeah. We talk about uh, the movement here a lot, Rhythm Church here a lot, right? So people can get plugged into churches because I think it's super important. Um, I think there's a misconception that we are kind of touching on it earlier, right? Like some people were like, the church just has to feed the widow and the orphan, right? And I'm going through this series on church history, which is actually really, really, really cool. I'm going to send you the link. Pastor Mike Winger shared it. I know my brother Truther has seen it. And I'm in the early church phase. So this is right after the apostolic church. And what's interesting is for the first 100 to 150 years, the church didn't meet in buildings. They were home churches, Mm. right? And so when you hear about feeding the widow and the orphan, I'm not sure that that was necessarily coming from like a local ecclesia standpoint as much as that was coming from people pulling their resources in, in their the house. local ecclesia yeah. to take care of people. True. Right. And to do good and to do charity. But the moment they could meet in local uh, in buildings, they did. they did. Yeah, And that was until I believe about the year 150 ish. And then at the time, Christianity was still like only two or three percent of Rome. And then I think at the year 300 it was like 10%, mm. and then after Constantine it was like 50%. And so we see this pattern within church history where um, they didn't they, they they didn't necessarily take up like tithes and offerings the way we do, right? But when they could meet in buildings, they they met, they met in buildings yeah. immediately. So I say all that to say like it's not a it's not a dichotomy of like small church big church, right? Sure. Like give all the money to the poor, give no money to the poor. Like I think it's and both. Yeah. You know, one of the things Trizzle was just on, uh, and I showed you the video we got. A trizzle that's going viral on instagram right now yeah. and i got a clip coming out with him about how his church i forgot what they're called but they're in orange county and they were talking he was talking about how they have a huge initiative to get members to foster mm. and so they have been fostering heavy yeah. and a lot of families same. do that and so they have a, a i believe a, a one-year-old now that's been with them since he was like two weeks he was like really? abandoned and they they took him in you know and so like yeah, I, mean, I think that sort of stuff isn't necessarily like does the church have an orphanage in the back? You know what I mean? But like, is the church equipping people to be the the hands and feet of Jesus?
1: Yeah. No, 100%, man. And I think that that's, again, you look at Francis Chan is walking through a lot of this right Mm -hmm, now, right? You mm -hmm. you look at a guy that's wildly talented Mm -hmm. and grew this massive thing and then really started to feel like, oh, this big church thing is bad and Mm -hmm. we should go back to small church. Mm -hmm. Well, the issue he's running into now is okay. You do them in homes. Well, what happens when you still have the wildly talented guy leading the Bible study that everybody wants to hear his opinion and mm-hmm. how he breaks it down and yeah. his you know commentary? And yeah. Some people stuff. just
0: got a different grace over their life, man. Dude, and so,
1: he, so what they started to do though, I don't know if you've seen this, uh-huh. but they have all these home churches and house church leaders and yeah. all this stuff. But everybody still is like, well, we want to do at least once a month gatherings, mm-hmm. you know, with Francis, and we do some kind of like collective worship experience. Mm-hmm. And so now they're back getting these big buildings because they're outgrowing <laughs> all of this stuff. And so th- th- there's a part of it where I'm like. Man, I, again, I don't think it's it's big or small It's yeah. good or bad. Yep. I think in there, it, it's a, how do we make it healthy? I think healthy is the goal. Healthy is the thing. Um, and I think those stories, like your buddy, Church, you're talking about, mm-hmm. those are the stories most people don't hear. Mm-hmm. Like Christians give more money to um, nonprofits than anybody else. Yeah. They adopt more children than anybody else. Yep. Our church, same thing. Arizona, uh, our foster care system is an absolute nightmare. Mm-hmm. 5 or 6 years ago our church said hey we can make a difference mm-hmm. we have the resources we have the amount of people mm-hmm. let's get together the local experts and let's go after this thing mm-hmm. and so we now foster inside of our church families foster hundreds of these kids mm-hmm. we do an initiative every year that goes hey everybody in this church can support a foster kid doesn't mm-hmm. mean they can live they don't have to live with you yeah. if you can't foster them in your home then you can support the parents that do and come do a babysitting thing to where these parents can have a night out. And if you can't do that, you can give some money, right? And so we do and we rally around the foster kids in our um, community. And I think those stories aren't told because they're not sexy. uh, They don't sell headlines. It's just, oh, yeah, the local church takes care of the foster kids. Yeah. Awesome.
0: Right, right right right. Yeah. Yeah, cuz cuz if it bleeds it leads and so yeah, the most 100%. sensational wild over the top stories are going to be the ones that lead. Yeah. Um and and get people to clip. What do you um what do you think I even just saw it in the chat earlier. What do you think of this 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 notion? And I find it really frustrating, but I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. Like the early church, the the, the apostolic church and through the early church, really through Constantine, right? Like we're in a era where being a Christian was Illegal, right? It was dangerous. It was dangerous yeah. from the Jewish side and from the Roman side. Because yeah. when you said, you know, we follow Lord Jesus, you were basically saying Caesar isn't our Lord, yep. right? And, and there was a lot of overlap. So we're looking at snapshots in scripture through times in history where there was massive oppression and persecution mm-hmm. for the church. Yet today we don't have that. And some people still want to go back to this weird, bizarre, romanticized martyrdom that you don't have to go—like, the martyrs went through that, so you don't have to, right? We're in a time where we can leverage all the opportunity we have being in a country that is friendly to our faith, maybe not affirming of our faith, but they're like, for the most part, America's, thank God, still like, all right, like, y'all weirdo Christians do your thing, right? Right. Generally speaking, yeah. we're in a time where we could do that. Where we're not, we're not ostracized from working in certain industries. We're not stoned if we profess Jesus over President Biden, right? Like, yeah. like we, and so it's like, but there's still this weird, bizarre tension with certain people, and I, I would call it a flat-out poverty gospel. Like that's what yeah. I think it is. What do you make of that? With with some people that just have this infatuation with like, Paul got stoned and we get money. Like, what do you what do you think of that? Yeah, again, I think that
1: part of the bizarre thing that is happening in our country is Christianity has done better and thrived and when there has been a level of oppression, right? Mm-hmm. And so as the church has become more collectively like our expression mm-hmm. as a country, mm-hmm. and there's been an incorporation of the Christian values into just everyday worldly culture, There's mm-hmm. there's been, again, I think part of what people are trying to express is there used to be... Um, a cost to following jesus mm-hmm. right there's there's not really a cost anymore mm-hmm. in that you go to a lot of in part of my challenge coming from a san diego context which was a lot of non-church people that i was interacting mm-hmm. with especially in students mm-hmm. and then going to phoenix where it's a it should be part of the bible belt right like it's a very churched area i was like oh my eyes were open to all these people that were just cultural christians right in that mm-hmm. context as somebody who wasn't Christian growing up, who got saved, I realized, like, oh, this changes everything. Like, you become a new person, have new desires, and it, it th- your life should look different, mm-hmm. right? So the mm-hmm. concept that exists in our country, I think, to a lot of those people are like, well, this is the unnatural byproduct if there isn't a level of martyrdom. Now, the mm. flip side is like, well— what do you want us to do? Like, have the threat of being killed? Mm-hmm. I think that there's ways that the church can call people to a standard mm-hmm. and remember that what we're not asked to do is just easy believism, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Of like, hey, just throw your hand up. Yep, you've accepted Jesus. Um, and I think that is the knock against the big church mm-hmm. is, like, even for us in the Christmas Eve services, am I excited that 600 people threw their hand up, filled out some form saying they accepted Jesus Yes, but if it stops there, mm-hmm. I think that's a massive L. And oh we, yeah. We can't just celebrate that and cheer and go, look at what we did, this is amazing. Right, 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 right. And then go, that is our victory. Because it's like, well, that's where our cultural Christianity mm-hmm. has always stopped. It's mm. just throw your hand up and It doesn't actually cost you anything. And it's like, that is so antithetical to what Jesus said. Like, this is going to be the most expensive endeavor you've ever entered into. You and I don't get to dip our toes in the water of faith. This is an all or nothing kind of thing. Like, it it should look like the way you love your mother and father is like horrendous compared to what you're doing to, Mm -hmm. like, it should cost you something. This is. People should look at you, and again, for us, I think the cost is that your friends might look at you and go, oh, why are you not drinking? Like, well, because, you know, God's changed my desires, and I don't really want to. Mm -hmm. Oh, that'd be so weird to say that. Mm -hmm. I think that's the cost for us living in the culture today. Mm -hmm. So it's like, again, I don't— That's not persecution, though.
0: I mean, I guess it is to a certain degree, but like, is that Uh, really— Again,
1: there's also people that are like, we're so persecuted, and it's like— really like yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was people that were literally actually stoned but I, I think what is happening and again when you you look at where the church is thriving today mm-hmm. um, I think that there's a massive desire for in, in young people to be called back to what the church was always supposed to be this countercultural all or nothing this changes everything completely new way of living mm-hmm. not just a uh, uh self-improvement 2.0 yep. that Jesus makes you a slightly better version of yourself. Yeah. I think I look at that and I go, man, the the, the harvest is plentiful. Yeah. Right. Yeah. With with the real gospel message. Mm-hmm. Um I think as somebody who's in church, it
0: really excites me. Yeah. And I also think like what if what if we get the opportunity to not be persecuted mm. so that we can help others who are persecuted in real places where there's persecution with the real underground church in China or in North Korea or in Pakistan or in Iran, right? Like where like being a Christian is literally a a threat towards your life. What if the people here can actually support the missions that are happening there? Yeah. I
1: I think that's the opportunity that's available to us as the American church, Mm -hmm. right? But It's been so hard because most of the message for people has been that it's just, you know, Jesus is here to make you a slightly better version of you. Mm. And that better version of you means more money and more income and a better Mm -hmm. house and kids that, you know, listen to you and don't talk back and um i just don't see that in the scriptures
0: yeah yeah cuz it's yes it's neither right like it's not like jesus is here just to make everything better yeah and it's also not like hey if you follow jesus in america you're going to get martyred 100% you know what i mean like it's 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 neither of those things um let's talk about this T- tell me at what point with regards to everything we've talked about like at what point does doctrine matter at what point do we say foul or call yeah. your own foul you know, at, at what point does the line get crossed and something that's said publicly uh, deserves a public response? What do you think that line is? With, yeah. with celebrity pastors, with, with, with any pastor, really?
1: Again, I think that it is something that is— massive i think that we're living in a time where i would argue doctrine and theology matter more than they almost ever have Mm -hmm. because it's the waters have become so muddied Mm -hmm. um and i think that's the part that is interesting because mike todd has had moments where he's done kind of silly stuff and Mm -hmm. then come back and apologize for it Mm -hmm. remember the whole like spitting on the spitting dude's eyes and all that
0: oh yeah so that was his brother
1: yeah The, the flip side of it is we're part of you know, I, I think through the practicality of it, you mm-hmm. know, like, okay, that's how you start the next week is you go, hey, I just want to spend a couple minutes and walk through this thing that I said. Mm-hmm. Well, what are the people in the audience that weren't there? You've got to set that context mm-hmm. up. So I think there's a logistics part of it that I go, okay, maybe it's something you post on social media or something. Mm-hmm. But I think if you do make a public mistake like that, and it genuinely is a mistake, like things that you're like, oh, I thought it said that, or I quoted the wrong mm-hmm. scripture, or um, I, again, I think sometimes the danger is. These guys are just trying to get something that's people are gonna share and like, mm-hmm. and I, I think, man, for my advice to a lot of the young pastors that I'm around is, dude, just preach a book in the Bible. Come on, like, this is
0: the, Mike Winger said the
1: same thing. Yeah, man, literally, yeah. like, and I don't say it to go, hey, because I did it, that means it's successful, mm-hmm. and you should just do what we did. But that young adults ministry, again, I knew as I got around the context of young adults in the Phoenix area. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I've got to bring up the Bible literacy. Part Mm -hmm. of how I really show the beauty and the magnitude of who Jesus is, is I've got to get them to fall in love with Scripture. So Mm -hmm. how do I do that? Well, I can't force them to read their Bible during the week, but I can just teach them through the Bible. And so I taught the book of Genesis for like 16 weeks, Mm. you know, and we just walked chapter through chapter and we'd skip some of the stuff where there was, you know, a a lot of the genealogies and all that. Mm -hmm. But... For the most part, we just taught books of the Bible, and mm-hmm. part of what I felt was my um, burden was to help them fall in love mm-hmm. with the Scriptures yeah. and to also dumb it down to a point where they could go, oh, you can do this too, of like, hey, when you see these words, this is what this means, right? And to help them practically figure out how they can do this on their own. We're rolling out a whole thing in the, this year coming up where— you know, we're that's our big goal is how do I get them in Scripture more? I've got to get them to fall in love with the Word of God because otherwise, what happens is, is every one of these ministries is they, when the guy that's there that everybody likes, the thing yeah. blows up and there's a big crowd and mm-hmm. we pat ourselves on the bat and back and say that that's a success and I just go. I don't know if it is, yeah. right? Because the moment you leave, it all goes away, Yeah. and then you ask the question, and I've also, I've been in ministry long enough where I'm watching a lot of the kids that were in my youth ministry, mm-hmm. when that's what meant so much to me, mm-hmm. was the, the clickable, tweetable things that I said, and I spent so much time worried about that, then I'm like, man, I forgot to help these kids fall in love with God's word, and to yeah. leave them with something yeah. that when I'm not there, yep. That can carry them through, and a lot of them are now, you know. And it's it not that we're we're God, and that they're in the process. But I ask myself a lot, man. What have we left
0: these students with? Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, I have I have a I have a question for you, and then and then um, I have one last question for you, and then you could ask me any question or yeah. give me any critique about what what I do on the channel because you, you keep it loosely. Yeah. Um, and then we're going to go to their questions. Love it. Okay, before that, let's take a quick break. Uh, Guys, we got a brand new song out. I'm going to play that for you while uh, I use the restroom. Hey, you may not know I make music, but I have a brand new song that just came out. Here's a quick preview.
2: I went from... Being a porn addict to sharing the gospel with a porn actress who was criticized for being low status by the same OnlyFans who treat us so lavish. I'm confused. I swear, y'all thought he did doing podcasts, hot takes. He still can rap.
0: Now, this is my first song that I've released in over a year. So, I need you to go to Spotify. Apple Music or wherever you consume music and stream too soon right now. Add it to your favorite playlist, share it with a friend. So hit the link in the description or go to RuslanToTheMoon.com to stream too soon now. I'll see you over there. Ooh, ooh.
2: Oh, they got me with their dramatics. You know that a moment cannot be too soon. Ruslan.
0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am back with Pastor Daniel. Golding. Yeah, that's, that's a capital P pastor, too. Capital so. P pastor. He ain't no youth. He ain't that's no young buck out good. here. He ain't no youth pastor. <laughs> He's no young adults, pastor. He's the real thing, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. That's right. Pastor uh Daniel Golding from Rock Point in Gilbert, Arizona. Uh, one of the fastest growing churches in the country, one of the fastest growing churches in Arizona. If you guys are in that area, check him out. How many times a year do you preach?
1: So it's typically about fifteen to sixteen
0: little over a lot. month. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. Um, so um, there was another question I had for you, but I lost. Oh, we're going to go to their questions. If I think of it, you could ask. But yeah, anyway, yeah. I, my question for you, I was going to see if you had any questions for me and or do you have any critique for what, um, for what I do here?
1: No, man, again, I think that what you do in, I, I wouldn't say being critical of the church, but... Asking some of the questions that need to be asked, I think, is a really good thing. I think the church needs it. Mm -hmm. I think that that's where we can stay really healthy is to go. um, We shouldn't be defensive. We should be able to be asked hard questions. We should be able to raise our hand and go, hey, I made a mistake. Mm -hmm. I thought this was going to go well. This didn't. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's really healthy. The thing that I've always challenged you with is playing devil's advocate is I think sometimes it's really easy to solve these really complex problems mm-hmm. in simple statements mm-hmm. that in in the practicality and in the flesh are much more nuanced than, um But again, man, you and I have those conversations. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So yeah. I think you do a good job of trying to balance it. I, I love what you've done. The, the really funny part for me is being in Arizona, mm-hmm. a lot of my young adults and people at our church watch this channel mm-hmm. because a lot of them are trying to figure out this church thing. And there aren't a lot of voices that haven't completely broken away from the faith with Mm -hmm. how far away they've moved from it, that Mm -hmm. are still Christians who love Jesus, who believe in the Bible, Mm -hmm. who are solid theologically, but also call out the dumb stuff that Mm -hmm. the church does Mm -hmm. that needs to be called out, Mm -hmm. that I think is allowing the church to continue to thrive and for young people to realize not all of us are these talking heads. There's a lot of people who think critically about a lot of these problems yep. and are working actively to solve them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think part of what you're doing is, and I think part of why the, the growth you've seen is this, is because there's a, there's a need for this voice and people are hungry to go. It, it can't be that we just walk away from all of it and completely yeah. break it all down and then what's left us with nothing. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the part that I appreciate the most about what you're trying to do in this.
0: Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think I enjoy... Um one of the things I've been enjoying more and more is reevaluating and figuring out all the reasons that I am still a follower of Jesus. Right. I am still in love with Jesus, right? Like it's it's such a it's such an interesting thing that like I could sit and listen to the most staunch uh uh skeptics debate christians and all and and i walk away from those like so reinvigorated yeah. like man like mm-hmm. jesus is good you know this this jesus he really is the real deal you know yeah he really is who he says he is um before before we get into their questions guys if you got a question just write it all capitals questions i'm here with pastor daniel golding from rock point church in gilbert arizona um write the word question first and then what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna mark some. I see them as they're coming in. I saw a couple good ones. If you guys could re-ask them, um we'll mark and we'll go through a couple questions. Um take take us back. Uh this is kind of more this is low key what gave me my YouTube career launch. I don't know if I've ever said this to you. Hmm. When I was working with adults with developmental disabilities, yeah. you were like, hey, um these video announcements are are blowing up right now and you know if you if you could figure out how to do these, we can get you a job at the church. You know? And you and me made a mock video announcement on my Canon T2 right. T2i, I think T2i T23 or something like that, it's like a $300 camera I got on Craigslist. Yep. And uh on a on a uh, version of Final Cut Pro X that was um Daniel uh Rothamels, you remember Daniel Rothamels? (laughs) I had his login. Other Daniel. And I and I had all I had done up to that point just edited my own music videos Mm. and like some like little theatrical stuff. And so take us back because that was such a pivotal time because had I not done that, I wouldn't have learned broadcasting and streaming. And had I not learned broadcasting and streaming, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. So take take us back to that, just that, where we were at that time, and tell Dude, that story.
1: <laughs> well, the, the crazier part is, even a step back from that, is there was that Bible study that we were all in. There's mm-hmm. I don't know, eight to ten of us that met every week religiously for mm-hmm. years and years and years, and we used to weigh ourselves, and we would work out before, oh, yeah. and we had goals every year, financial oh, yeah. and personal and mm-hmm. family and ministry, mm-hmm. and and, and the awesome part is to
0: see the success. We would we would play basketball and cuss each other that's out. That's right. Yeah. The, and then sit down and
2: be fuming. You remember the fuming, one? Time, who's gonna open with prayer? That's
1: right. There was one time that we weren't playing basketball and we played uh Call of Duty or something. Uh-huh. It was when you and Monette were living with your mom yeah, on the yeah. other side. Yep and Omar literally started cussing people out, and it got <laughs> heated, bro. And you had to, like, shut it down because we have to transition to pray and do Bible study. And Yeah. Um, but <clears throat> the, the awesome part with that group is it was a bunch of dudes who were like, man, we believe this thing enough to go, we understand the biggest gap between what we want to experience and the things we want to see God do in our life mm-hmm. is really the accountability and people pushing us to get there. And I think the awesome part is is what has come of that group you know what i mean yeah oh yeah it's rad to see all that god has done through a bunch of dudes that faithfully yeah i mean up the who is, who was
0: all in that group me you belief, belief. um michael who's yep. booming on tiktok yep. and right. uh he's chefing up who else was in that group i'm trying to remember Brian, yeah, <clears throat> both Brian's, yep. Uh, Robert, um, Robert Smith, who's actually right at uh, Tim Ross's church or the church that Tim Ross just just passed on. Yeah, he, he actually had a succession plan because uh, of podcasting. So Robert was actually attending his church. That church blew, blew up into a mega church. Um, yeah, we had a we had a kind of a all star cast man, yeah, man back in it the day. It was a crew.
1: All of us at one point were, you know, serving in pretty high levels of ministry. Um, yep. Doing all kinds of stuff, man. And so uh, the awesome part is, is I I do remember all that with the video announcements Mm -hmm. and the church was trying to figure out all these transitions and the people that did announcements were just terrible. Mm -hmm. And it's like, man, how do we just make this a video segment so we don't have to, we can pre-edit it and get all the awkward stuff out of it and... Somehow we finessed you a job to to do that. and Oh, yeah. Um, and a lot of that was at the same time I got into ministry because you basically forced me to do it. Yeah. I, like, spoke and said, hey, I feel like I'm supposed to go into ministry. Yeah. And then you would throw spoken word <laughs> events. <laughs> just
0: make you And preach. you're like, yo,
1: you're going to get up there and preach. And I'm like, and do what? <laughs> you're like, just tell them your testimony, bro. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my yep. gosh, man. I was terrified. Yeah. But had yeah. that not have happened, I, you know, I probably wouldn't be in ministry today. So...
0: Yeah, we would do those events. You would tell your testimony, and then we started <laughs> the King's Dream Live. 100%. And you were, you were preaching at that. And so, yeah, man, that, that was interesting. But, yeah, yeah. Um, let's jump into some of these questions. Guys, um, I've marked a bunch of questions. If you can, if I if I miss your question, just ask it again. I'm not going to answer all these because some of you guys are asking some goofy questions, okay? But I'm going to do my best to answer all of them. Lugo Ortiz says, What should pastoral finance... When should pastoral finances should be looked into if the pastor's income is strictly from the church? When should pastoral finances should be looked into if the pastor's income is strictly from the church? When? I don't know.
1: Yeah, so I think think what he's trying to ask is at what point should the pastor's finances be looked into if their income is strictly from the church? Number one, I would say that biblically— pastor's income should be from the church, mm-hmm. right? That's mm-hmm. what Paul a, makes. A,
0: a worker's worth his wages. That's right. That's really what Paul that. makes
1: an argument for. He, right? He says multiple times that we should take care of the people that are in ministry. Mm-hmm. actually says we should give them a, a double, you know, a, a, a double fold or whatever mm-hmm. the phrasing double is. Double portion. Double portion. Mm-hmm. So I think pastors should be able to make enough money to where— they don't have to go and work an extra job mm-hmm. because of how much work it is to run a church, run a staff, do yes. all of the things. Yes. Now, should that come with no restrictions mm-hmm. and no limitations mm-hmm. and no accountability? Mm-hmm. One thousand percent, no, not mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. And there's actually a lot of because, yes, we're a church, but yep. we're also, from a tax standpoint, a nonprofit. And there's a lot of governing principles of how that nonprofit has to be run. Mm-hmm. You have to have a board. That board has to have justification for, okay, Ruslan, you're now our senior pastor, Mm -hmm. I can't just pay you whatever you want. Mm -hmm. I have to do an analysis of the area we live in. I have to go, okay, these other senior pastors that are relatively our size with Mm -hmm. similar ministry budgets, Mm -hmm. they make X, therefore you can only make X. And Mm -hmm. the IRS gives you a 10% margin, Mm -hmm. so I can go up or down on that, about 10%. Mm -hmm. Outside of that, you're in illegal tax categories that if the IRS were to look in on it and somebody were to call them, you would literally be committing tax fraud. Wow. So that said, is that they're these, not just
0: winging it. They're not just not, like a
2: check.
1: <laughs> and, and are there unhealthy examples that we've been a sure, part of? Sure. Absolutely. Yes. But most churches, you get behind the curtains and see it? Dude, most of these pastors are living on money that most people would just be like, "Man, that's crazy." Mm-hmm. Like it's mm-hmm. uh again, most of these people have postgraduate degrees, mm-hmm. they've been doing these jobs for 15 to 20 years, they're at the peak of their normal income potential, right? Mid-40s, late 40s, early 50s, and they're making next to nothing. Mm-hmm. So I think that we shouldn't be afraid of the analysis, but I think people should also you know, realize, hey, most pastors that you know that you interact with, they're not the guys flying around on jets. Yeah. That is 0.0001% of the pastors that are out there.
0: Yeah. And, and yes, Paul was making tents, <laughs> But Paul was also a traveling apostle, planting right. churches, and when he wrote that, he was throwing it in their face, almost literally. He was like, "Man, like I could have taken you care should have of taken care yeah. of me. I yeah. could have brought a wife like Peter did and the other apostles did, but I just went above and beyond because I didn't want to be a burden on you, yeah. right?" So Paul was pointing to the exception to the rule, not the rule. Yeah. In my in my opinion, um, we know yes, we know a lot of pastors who work second jobs, sometimes third jobs. Yeah. Um, In my opinion, I think a pastor should be at the very least be able to do simple things like buy a home. You know what I mean?
1: Perfect example. You're living in San Diego, mm -hmm. right, where I'm from, too. You move into some of these cities, Carlsbad, for Mm -hmm. example. Most pastors I know that work at churches in Carlsbad cannot live in the city Mm -hmm. that they pastor in because it's just too expensive. right? And so on paper, if you see their salary number, people could freak out. But mm-hmm. then it's like, well, most of them can't even afford to live in the area that they live in, mm-hmm. you know. And so, and I also think that the the, the challenges is on both sides of the fence. Because I know a lot of pastors that are really successful outside of the church mm-hmm. and have their own businesses, don't take money from the church. Mm-hmm. And people assume that all their money comes from the church. Mm-hmm. I think even a lot of the guys that have boats and planes and all of that stuff, a lot of them have really successful side businesses yeah. and hustles and platforms yeah. and... Um, I don't necessarily think that's an evil thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's good. Okay, let's go through some more of these. He said, Question I visited many mega churches and I've always felt that they have been more like a business than feeling like home. Yeah. Have you tried to navigate your church and making it feel inclusive?
1: Yeah, that, that's always, I would say, the number one struggle. You face, right? Mm -hmm. And so, part of what we do very intentionally, like Chris Brown and North Coast, is you have to find a place where you get into a small group. We Mm -hmm. always say that um, in rows you can learn, but it's in circles that we're discipled. That's good. It's in circles that we're transformed. Yeah. And so, we have to be really intentional as large churches to figure out ways to get people in smaller rooms Mm -hmm. to where they're known. Mm -hmm. And for us, uh, again, where we differ a little bit from North Coast is North Coast is. All small groups. And it's a, I love it, and mm-hmm. it's a great model, and they're phenomenal. Mm-hmm. But for us, we go, well, there's other opportunities. Like for me, where I got connected before a Bible study mm-hmm. was serving in high school ministry. Mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So serving is an incredible area to get into a group of people mm-hmm. where you're known. Um, but we also do push small groups. We do new members things. And so we're always trying to create opportunities to get to know people. And so it's in our messaging. It's in um, everything we do is to understand, hey, it, it's really easy to get lost in this crowd um, and as consumeristic Christians, it's easy to just sit there and you know, yeah, hang out.
0: Yeah, that's good. Um, g- guys, here's something we don't do here. Even in any critique I have of any pastors, I may disagree with and not be f- fans of. Um, we-, we don't presume people's motives. Mm. Like you can't, you're not a mind reader. So somebody was yeah. like, uh. Money hungry. How do you know? Yeah. What do you know about any of these guys? Like, stop with the mode of reading. Like, we could we could address specific actions or specific things that were said that yep. were an error. We're not gonna play that game. You play that game here, you're just gonna get banned. You don't know what you don't know. So don't presume to be a mind reader and think you have it all figured out. Cause because that's you're that's just you're just crossing the line there. And that's not it, that's not even a good faith conversation. So let's not do that mm-hmm. in the chat, please. Uh, pastors are called to shepherd people. How much regular, meaningful interaction do you have with the lay members of the church? That's a great question.
1: Yeah. It, this is actually, ironically, a question you and I have gone back mm-hmm. and forth mm-hmm. with quite a bit. Um, I, I, so where I would push back, or the question I would ask to the person asking that question is, well, at what point does the pastor stop being the primary person to interact with people in their church? Mm-hmm. Because I would argue if the church is more than 15 people— you're not going to be able to personally disciple all of them. You can't get coffee with them, you can't know them enough. So we've just now said, okay, the bar where a pastor has to put systems in place is 15 to 20 people, Mm -hmm. right? And so if you have to be the guy that has to be everybody's quote-unquote pastor that— You know, you're always the person that does everything with them and Mm -hmm. walks through. You just have to lead things that are really small, and I think that that's okay. I think that's a Mm -hmm. that's a small group having a home church or whatever, yeah. Yeah. Like it's not a knock against it, but at some point you have to have systems. Mm -hmm. Where I, I like what they're asking is that hey there still has to be intentional discipleship man, yep. where those senior pastors or just pastors in general mm-hmm. get into dangerous territory is they never interact with anybody. Mm. They're in the green room. They're isolated. Good. Security actually kind of keeps them by themselves. They come and go. They have designated parking spots. Can't make eye
0: contact with them. No, literally. They, they're, <laughs> never, they're not in the lobby. Yeah.
1: You know, And so I think that those are, as I look at, okay, how do I find a place that's healthy? Mm-hmm. It's Is there a place that I can get plugged in? Is there places that I can serve? Yes. Is the gospel faithfully preached? Is Scripture um, actually exegeted well? And is this something where they're doing a good job stewarding what God has given them? And mm-hmm. is there a place that I can get plugged in? Mm-hmm. Um, now, for pastors that are listening to this, I would say, hey, there should be people that are in your life, and you have to be the one that's really intentional about this. We have a home group at our our house on Wednesdays. There's only one group of the nine couples
0: that are a part of that
1: that is actually on staff. Everybody else, they're so not. you
0: you pastor you 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 lead a small group in your home yep. and nine couples attend there. Yeah, so you're and you're personally uh, shepherding at yep. least 18 people,
1: and a, and a lot of them we were all of them we hand selected to. Invite into our home group. It's like mm-hmm. my daughter's friends from school, it's mm-hmm. her parents. We invited them. Mm-hmm. A couple that literally randomly walked up to me and asked me to do their wedding. Um, that I've known for probably six months now. We've asked them to be a part of it, but mm-hmm. it's all these people that don't—they don't really know us. And we can just be humans. And we've been very intentional from the beginning mm-hmm. to just go look. I know we're going to listen to my messages, and we'll be at a church that I work at. But for this, like, this is just us, and we're just people. Yeah. And you know,
0: um, is it weird when they're rece- you're going over your Sunday morning message in yeah, your life group,
1: or somebody <laughs> will say something like that they think is really impressive that I said or something, and then my wife is sitting there like this guy's an idiot. And, you know, I don't like him
0: yeah that's good so to answer your question he pastors on average nine couples that are in his home regularly which i I, I think is amazing
1: and that's just the small group people you talk about the staff that directly reports to me you talk about the leaders that directly report to me Mm -hmm. like there's a lot of people that i have to be intentional in in developing and same with our senior pastor our Mm -hmm. senior pastor probably with lay people in the church this might be something that would make people upset he probably doesn't disciple many, maybe one or two people that just are in the church. Mm-hmm. But it's because he has a staff of a hundred people that he's meeting that, with. That there's key people in that that yep. he knows. Okay, this is what uh, was instructed to Moses as he was leading the people uh, through the desert. It's mm-hmm. like you need some systems, bro. Mm-hmm. Like you need to put in some system yep. and begin to get leaders that can lead leaders. Yep.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, that's good. And so and and so, guys, if you don't like that, don't go to a mega church
2: and it's not like, for everybody.
0: Yeah, it's not for everybody. Like just don't don't go to a mega church. That's this right. is a specific thing that they're doing um and and if you don't like it, like I don't I think the question becomes when you start saying things like, well that's not the way church is supposed to be done. That's you're conflating you're conflating preference. Preference with is God in something. Yeah. That's kind of wild. Yeah. Like that's and it's very arrogant to like yeah. I have the monopoly on how it always has to be done. When the reality is, bro, God can move through big churches, small churches, small groups, house churches, all those different things. And so um, just be careful with that, because that could also get into a soteriology question of like, you can't get saved at that church. Or if that church was truly saved, they would dissolve, shut the doors and go into homes. Like, who told you? (laughs) Like,
1: what? Based on what? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So anyway, um, are pastors more and more attracted by ecumenism, I think it means you. You eucumenism, you- I always miss that word, and heresies for the sake of unity. Ecumen- ecumenicism, I think is the word. Uh, ecumenical. Ec- e- it just means like working cross-denominationally, working across different, because there's people that will say ecumenical in the sense of like, hey, we're going to do some stuff with Pentecostals, and we're going to do some stuff with other people. Then there's people that will say, we're going to do some stuff with Catholics, we're going to do some stuff with, you know, and then and then you can go way outside the lines of like, yeah. Mormons are in and Muslims are in and everybody's in. (laughs) Just for the sake of unity. Just for the sake of unity. So I think we have to be careful with that word. Like I personally have and will uh, do certain things with certain Catholics on certain issues. Sure. Right. Not going to lean on them for soteriology and how to be saved. Yeah. Right. Well, when it comes to like, hey, we're going to talk about the unborn. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, they're crushing it on that, bro. Yeah. If we're gonna talk about fostering, they're cr- but when you get into like, that so I think it depends on what what you're talking about. I don't know if you have any specific things or like oneness Pentecostals. Like I'm 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 probably not doing anything with a oneness Pentecostal. I'm not preaching at a oneness Pentecostal church. I'm not going out to a oneness Pentecostal church. I would probably draw the line there or a Mormon church or a Jehovah's Witness church. Not that they're banging on my door to come and speak it there. Yeah, you know what I mean.
1: Yeah, again, I think. Well- the, uh, the other side of the coin that I would argue is I tend to err on the side of more going, hey, we do have way more in common mm-hmm. than we do apart, yeah. right? Like, let's take the close-handed things that we don't move on, we refuse to disagree about. Yes. And if we're in alignment there, all this open-handed stuff, man, yeah. if you want to pray in tongues, yeah. tear it up. Yeah. Like yeah. That yeah. stuff doesn't freak me out.
0: Well, I think the issue is now we don't know what, what open-handed and close-handed sure. it is. And For so sure. but if you're in a specific camp, then you think everything is— Close-handed. You no think question. how your view of tongues is close-handed. You yep. think your view, of, right? And so, I think that's the dangerous part is we've lost sight of what is open-handed and close-handed. Yeah, I doctrine. think it
1: just comes down to teaching good theology again. Yeah. yeah.
0: All right. Uh, Anderson said, "What would you say would be the best?" Thank you for the super chat, by the way. Best way to have accountability in a mega church setting for the pastor.
1: Hmm. Yeah. The, the danger is, and this is the part that I that I don't love about the model. Is it's very dependent on the senior pastor Mm -hmm. because you get to as the guy that creates the nonprofit, you get to create the bylaws, you get to create all of it, Mm -hmm. and so if you're not self aware enough to go outside of the grace of God, there go I, and I'm capable of absolutely anything. Um, And so from the very beginning of this thing, I'm going to set it up with checks and balances. I'm going to set it up with accountability, elder boards, board board of advisors, all that people that like. If the senior pastor doesn't do that, you better believe they can create a system, intentionally or not, yeah. that creates them being a literal dictator in the middle of it. Yeah. And so for me, what I didn't know getting into ministry is something it wasn't in church was like, hey, there's some questions you should ask ahead of time before yep. you work at a church. Mm. Of like, can I meet with the elders? Not like, oh, do we have elders? And they go, yep, for sure. You're like, awesome, rad. Like, let's move on. Yeah. Step two. Right. And you I got to see close hand that played out over 15 years and what it leads to and just the absolute destruction. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, if I just asked some of these questions ahead of time, I could have seen the pitfalls that were there Mm -hmm. because where there is smoke, there is always fire. And it's only a matter of time until it comes out. So. How can there be accountability for these pastors? Unfortunately for most of them, they have to be smart enough to build it in. Um, And so I would, if I was going to attend a church, if I was going to really faithfully be a part of it, those are the questions I would ask.
0: Yeah, that's good. Guys, we're going to try to get through as many as we can. Um, We'll prioritize whatever super chats come in. When, When is your heart out, Daniel? I know you have family and all kinds of stuff.
1: Man, I'm good. I'm hanging You're out. You so chilling? Okay. You tell me to leave.
0: Okay. Uh, our past. Oh, we already did this one. Sorry. Let me get rid of that. Um, I'm gonna work in some other people questions. Can you suggest a church in Pinnace Pinnis. Pinnis- Penascola, Florida Pensacola. Area? You know anybody
1: in Penas- You reading English is I know, like my favorite It's my second thing, language. What do you right. want from me? Um, I think, isn't Vood Church around there?
0: Vood Church is in Miami. I don't know how far that is from
1: yeah. Penascola. I wish I knew more, man.
0: Yeah. I don't know anyone out there, but if you're in South Florida, um, Vood Church is cool. There's a lot of churches that are in that area that are, I think, solid. Um, uh, question. In my experience, large churches allow for mentality to sneak in and out without getting connected. I mean, we kind of already answered this, right? Yeah. Um, I'm just not sure how that is possible to remove in the context with it, with that opportunities. Uh,
1: the, the thing that I would say is you can hide in small churches oh, as yeah. well, oh, right? Yeah. Like you can you can hide in small churches. There's really unwelcoming, unfriendly small churches, um, just like there are really bad big churches, mm-hmm. right? It's I think we've said it a bunch in this thing, but it's it's not the size, it's the it's the vision, yes. it's the intentionality, it's the systems, yep. you know.
0: Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, how do you avoid the twenty eighty rule at your church? Twenty <laughs> percent of the people doing eighty percent of the work.
1: If you can solve that, Carmen, we will hire you. because, <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 just a problem in all churches. Yeah. right? you have twenty percent give eighty percent. That's just people. 80%. I feel like it's just people. It is.
0: What level of importance or helps is there in being a part of a religious organization like SBC or the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, whatever, uh, to correct pastors' errors and shepherding congregations?
1: Yeah, I think there's there's pitfalls and there's there's good things with it. I think the theological accountability is great. Mm-hmm. I think having people that some of those systems that we're talking about, like if you go plant a church in the four square system mm-hmm. in SBC. A lot of those checks and balances and systems of accountability will be instituted for you. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't get to make the decision on a lot of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the downside is is we're seeing a lot of the challenges that come with these big denominations like the SBC, like the Catholic Church, Mm -hmm. where... They have a bench to protect the brand yeah. and at all costs, and so that's not good yeah
0: yeah yeah it, 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 it's checks and bal—its checks and balances are good, but the, it also comes with oftentimes protecting powerful people, and we've seen that as well no question um is tithing a problem in churches i I think a lack of tithing is
1: definitely a problem in churches um yeah I think that you know we don't talk about it enough that yeah. it's yeah I think God wants. All of you, including your your finances.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's good. Give generously, I would say. Give generously. Some people have a a differing on like, is the tithe literal for the New Testament? Is it not? Did Jesus echo it and affirm it? Is that was that before the establishment of local ecclesia? Look, um, I give above, well above ten percent. Same. You know what I mean? So like. I think God's standard of generosity is probably different than the tithe, and the tithe was a little different in the Old Testament sure. in terms of building the temple, and it was almost a tax and whatever. But I think New Testament generosity, I think, is also going to be relative to um, what season of life you're in, yep. um, your budget, so on and so forth, right? So um, I can tell you that
1: I am a different dad, provider, husband, as somebody who relies on God financially than yep. somebody who doesn't because yep. it— It removes the burden for me, man. My God, this is, I steward what you tell me to steward. I give back to you what you tell me to give back to you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I think the question, that binary is interesting, but I think we have, I think generally speaking, in my opinion, casual churchgoers should give more, not less. Right. Um, And there are obviously churches that abuse that for sure. Right. Um, Can you see more of the celebrity pastors fitting the role of deacon? So like in our, I think that's what we were talking about. Yeah, c- fitting more of the role of a deacon than a. I know. think
1: it's a really interesting conversation yeah. for people to have going into it to go because again, even my role as a teaching pastor, it's much more pastoral. Even if I teach twenty times a year, right? That means that there's thirty-two weekends a year that I'm not standing on that stage and teaching, and mm-hmm. most of what I'm doing is pastoring and developing. And if that's not what I feel called to do, um, then there's other mediums now, like YouTube and other ways to have a platform and break down Scripture and share the Gospel.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, to me, the best of both worlds is when we see a Pastor Mike Winger who was, you know, pastoring quietly at a, you know, Southern California Calvary Chapel and then slowly blew up on youtube yeah i think that's to me that's the best of both worlds like guys that are that are both and both like they're actual local church pastors or they want it to be mike winger alan parr and they do really cool youtube mm. stuff you know i think that to me is the best of both worlds in my opinion since um, you i
1: need to finally start that youtube channel, i've been
0: trying to t- 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 tell this man to start a youtube channel for a long time <laughs> um uh <laughs> how do you know if you should leave a church yeah, that's a,
1: that's a big question. Again, I, I think what I would say is if there's smoke, there's most likely fire. Mm. Um, if there's a, a lot of hostility when you ask questions, I think that's a big sign yep. that it might be time to start checking on other churches. Um, I think when there's uh, more than one time where there's things that are said that are very questionable um, and there isn't a, oh, I made a slip, or I you, you ask them, hey, you said this, did you mean this, um, and they don't walk it back, that's where I start to go. Okay, I'm not going to plant my family here, mm-hmm. but also understand you're you're around humans. You know, yeah, that yeah. Are
0: going to make mistakes. That's good. Here's a good question. What's the hardest thing about being a pastor?
1: Yeah, I, I would say the hardest thing for me being a pastor is it's it's hard to have environments where people don't have a massive expectation of you to be like this perfect human. Mm. You know where. I think we inherently know that pastors are humans, but there's a part of it where um, you still feel like they can't make mistakes. Mm -hmm. Because for us, unlike the general public, when I make a mistake, I lose my family's income. Mm -hmm. right? My kids can't eat because Mm -hmm. I lose my job when I make the mistake. Mm -hmm. And so when sin is in a smaller arena where you can deal with it before it becomes these big things, that's where I think the... The church has to do a better job of going, hey, it's okay for pastors to raise their hand and say it's not okay, mm-hmm. that, or that they're not okay, and deal with it before it becomes this huge thing. But there's this internal pressure, whether it's, um, again, whether it's external or internal, it's probably a combination of both, where mm-hmm. you just feel like, no, nah, I can't ever do that. I've got to just be perfect. And so I think pastors have to be really intentional to find environments and people where they can say those things and they can, um, but again, you have to seek it out. You have to be intentional with it; otherwise, you just will begin to believe that you, you have to be what people expect
0: you to be. Yeah, that's good. Uh, that's a cool question. Uh, what is the role <clears throat> of Gen Z slash early twenty year olds in the church? How can we be? Uh, how can we better be involved, especially since the church does not a does not feel catered to us?
1: Yeah, man, Jacob. I think that is. The, the thing, the question that gets me the most excited. I look at the future of the church and the Gen Z, the next generation, and all of the politics, all the BS, the church stuff that we just do because we're a church, I, th- I look at the next generation and go, man, it's, it, revival is in your hands. Mm. I think revival and the future of the church is literally in your hands, that you have to begin to believe this thing enough to live it out and to start to go all in and just to go look even though some of this stuff feels wonky and Mm -hmm. i don't really understand it the answer is not to walk away from it Um, and so i think the church has responsibility to go we have to adapt this and we have to change our messaging and create an atmosphere where they are welcome but it also is going to require the people in that generation to become the hands and feet of the church Mm -hmm. and to step in and begin to surf and to uh, but it, it it excites me more than anything because I just go man th- this is a generation where I think we are um again, what you were talking about from a historical standpoint from mm-hmm. a cultural standpoint we are ripe for revival mm-hmm. again for another massive move of god mm-hmm. and i think it's going to happen with enough gen z folks going hey i believe this thing man let's do this
0: yeah yeah that's a good. Uh, that's a good question. I, I see the one is Pentecostal question. I'm going to come back to that. Just give me a second. Um, it's a good question. How do you deal with the LGBTQ plus people going to your church? When do you press them on repentance? And how long is too long? Uh, them going to your church and still living in the lifestyle. Yeah. Turning like up the heat. Yeah, Let's great. go. Yeah. Come on. So. Again, this I know is good, we, this we, is why I don't want to be a pastor we, by the we way. Love,
1: <laughs> we love this question, right? So again, I, I'll just say the these last Christmas Eve services we had close to fifteen thousand people. Uh-huh. Right? In that audience of fifteen thousand people, if there was what they say the general public is three percent in the LGBTQ. Oh no, 50%. bro. It's one out of
0: five for Gen Z that identify.
1: That's a whole nother can of worms. Crazy. But, okay. But one still. out
0: of one one out of ten for our generation, one out of five for Gen Z. Okay, so again I'll, I'll ask it a different way. Yeah. Were
1: there more people in our church setting mm-hmm. that were LGBTQ+ plus or were same or heterosexual mm-hmm. but living outside of the confines of God's design for mm-hmm. their relationship? How
0: many people were cohabitating?
2: Mm-hmm. How many of
1: them are, you know, looking at pornography? How many mm-hmm. are uh, you know, not pursuing intimacy with their wife. Yes. A higher percentage of those people or the LGBTQ people. Mm-hmm. So, again, I would ask the question is how long should we let the heterosexual couple stay in the church mm. that are continuing to live together? Mm. I know more of those couples off the top of my head that I can think of. Wow. Are there a handful of couples in our church that are same sex attracted, mm-hmm. some of them married, that come to church every weekend? Yes, a thousand percent. And I love it. Where else would we want them to be? Mm-hmm. Like, where else do we want them to be? Do you want me at some point to click, tick, like, actually start a clock and go? Mm-hmm. This, these people have a year. Mm-hmm. Once they walk in the doors, they have a year to get their crap together. Yeah and figure this out stop being gay stop being attracted to people that look like them Mm -hmm. and if not then i'm gonna approach them and say they can't be in this church Mm. so i think it's a really silly question to ask and we've made it into this issue that is it's just it's so ludicrous man i think if we get the rest of the church and if every heterosexual in our church began to follow and honor God with their sexuality, Mm -hmm. I think the LGBTQ community might be much more willing to listen to us to go, oh, maybe there is some practical application to this thing because they seem like their marriages are better, their divorce rates are lower, Mm -hmm. right? They are enjoying and thriving. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's just a silly question to ask. I think we need (laughs) people in the
0: church. Well, I, I I think there's also a difference between somebody attending and someone being in leadership.
1: No question. Right. And what I'm also not saying is that we go to the line where we affirm this, and we mm-hmm. don't, in the series, when it makes sense, call it out for mm-hmm. what it is and mm-hmm. let Scripture define yep. what God's designed. I mean, yep. I'm reading through Genesis right now. It's like, from the very beginning, God designed them yep. male and female. Yep. But, like, to say that is like some heretical statement now. It's like, yeah. no, from the very beginning, yep. it's been male and female. Yep. It's pretty black and white. Yeah you know yeah,
0: yeah. I, th- I think we could, i think we should spend a lot more time also preaching the ways of god yeah. instead of preaching what's outside. We've got to do both. Yeah. But i think when we just hammer down on uh this specific sin yeah. and then like it's i mean it's referenced a handful of times. And it's a serious sin. Sure. Sexual sin in general is a serious sin. It's but yeah. when it's only referenced a handful of times in scripture and then like the 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 tension of like well when are you gonna sit him down you know what I mean and it's like <laughs> man I've had to sit down folks that I knew were fornicating that were in leadership you yeah. remember that oh yeah that was w- really hard yeah you know what I mean that those conversations are really hard but I feel like we got to have just scales the the couple that's living together the couple that's sleeping together that's the, right. the, the dude that's habitually looking at porn and still wants to lead worship all of these things fall under the same yeah. type of sexual sin. Now, granted, there's different consequences. Sure. Absolutely. But I think when we um, elevate this specific thing as this big thing that like, oh, you, they got a time limit and they got to be asked not to come back around. Right. Like yeah. I'm counseling people in my real life that are dealing with this stuff. Yeah. Like folks that are like, man, I'm same sex attracted, but I think I'm bi, but I don't know. That's and, right. and, and, it, and it just rests. And what do I do? Man, you got two months to figure this out, dog. Or I can't yeah, mentor you right. no more. Like that's It's so weird. Again,
1: I'm okay with them, with people that have some of those struggles Mm -hmm. that are serving in church, right? Mm -hmm. I'm thinking high levels of leadership positions, Mm -hmm. but if we were to go through and to know every single person that shows up on a Sunday, for us, it's a small army that Mm -hmm. it takes to pull off a Sunday with the number of volunteers that we have. Mm -hmm. And if we could know every single thing they were dealing with in the secret, I almost guarantee you that all the designations of LGBTQ would be like... Small in comparison to what other people yep. are dealing with, right? And yep. so people are people. They're going to do people things. Yep. Where I think there becomes a dangerous line is when it's, no, this is who I am, yeah. and I refuse to back down. I yep. want you to affirm this, and yep. this is who I am. Yep. But, like, people, if they're in process, rad, man. Praise yep. God that they're yeah. there. And yep. if, we, if we have them holding a sign or helping people park and yep. trying to figure out their faith, that's yep. a beautiful thing. Yep. Um, but we have to also again, I think just have the full conversations right. of God's standards for sexuality and not just alienate one. Right. Because, again, man, I think people know where the church stands on these issues. Yeah. I don't think people need to know yeah. that we believe that homosexuality is a sin. Yeah. Right. I yeah. think that, again, there's churches that are going the yeah. other route. But.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, and I think... Um, I think it's just such an interesting interesting conversation, and there's a spectrum of views within there. Like, th- yeah. like there's side B folks who identify as same-sex attracted, but they're celibate, right? But they're not going to say they're not same-sex attracted. There's, there's such a wild spectrum of people um, within that community that I think it's better to uh, shepherd and love and pastor. But at the same time, yeah, like, I'm not— I would be shocked if someone was in a in a same sex marriage leading worship. You know, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, that'd, that'd be like, uh,
1: oh. that'd be a miss.
0: Yeah, that, but that, but how? When is that? Like seldom. I don't wow. think I've ever heard. I think I've heard of someone being in a relation, a public relationship, like on stage in a choir once. Yeah. You know what I mean, or something like that. But yeah. usually these things, these things don't happen. Yeah. Um, I don't think someone who is participant in that lifestyle should be volunteering in the kids ministry or youth ministry. I think passing out coffee is okay. Yeah, I would, I, w- I would agree. I think that's a fair point. Okay, I'm trying to see if there's any good ones. If you see any good ones you want me to to to, to throw up, um, let me know. Uh, we already did the small groups. Oh, this this is kind of a cool false one. Teaching. Yeah. How do you do? Uh, how do mega churches ensure that the small groups are teaching the right doctrine and are kept safe from false teaching? Does the church make sure small group leaders are qualified to lead? That's a great question.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I think this the the question is is what are small groups going through, mm-hmm. right? And Uh, we don't set up the small group leader to be like a pastor. Like this is the leader. Mm -hmm. We more refer to them as facilitators. Mm -hmm. They're there to facilitate a discussion that's Mm -hmm. primarily around something that pastors have put together and Mm -hmm. curated for them to walk through. Mm -hmm. The scriptures are all pre-set up. So we try to lower the bar of what a leader really is, both Mm -hmm. because you need a lot of leaders at scale to have as many small groups as you need, and so we've lowered the bar into go, hey, you don't have to be some you know biblical savant that has gone through seminary to lead a small group. You just have to be able to facilitate a discussion, keep conversation going, ask the questions that are already there, and be willing to host. If you're mm-hmm. willing to do any of those things, you're qualified, yep. right? Now, what does happen is you have the guy that is really excited, wants to be a pastor, but clearly no churches are giving him a platform. Right. And so unintentionally, you end up giving that guy a group, and then it becomes (laughs) this is his ministry, he's preaching weird stuff, and you have to kind of, that's where you have small groups pastors, you have systems and checks and balances that can kind of catch some of that hopefully earlier than uh, it happens. But for us, we try to, again, at scale, uh, give them something that lets them facilitate a conversation instead of, hey, you're the one that comes up with the content, you create all of this, and then you have to do ongoing trainings and stuff. But
0: yeah. Um, this is an interesting question. Is there a need for celebrity status privileges in churches? Meaning, I think he's talking on like special seating, like if Justin Bieber shows up to your church, like, it, like are you guys going to seat him somewhere else? Like, is there a need for this sort of thing? I think, I, I think that's what he's asking.
1: Yeah. So uh, again, I think there's a level—he said celebrity um, pastor stuff, too. I think there's a part of it where there is practical stuff mm-hmm. in that, right, our— at the size church we are, you just get some crazies that are there. So, like, we need to have security that's mm-hmm. around people that are the communicators to keep people safe. Mm-hmm. We have a designated parking spot for them to come. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't. I mean, we have some celebrities and we have a lot of you know football players and, mm-hmm. but no, nobody's like a Justin Bieber's walking in mm-hmm. the doors of our church or at least hasn't yet. Yes. Um, if they did, I think there would probably need to be some separate processes created for mm-hmm. them to feel safe and be able to come do yeah. a church just from
0: a, a crowd control standpoint 100%, yeah because yeah,
1: people are going to people you yeah. know what i mean and like if taylor swift walk in to our church my daughter is going to be the one that like security is going to need <laughs> to be held back i yeah. F- yeah. just freak out you know um so but yeah
0: yeah that's good uh question uh thoughts on church of the highlands and chris hodges Pastor Restoration Ministry? Are you, are you familiar with this?
1: I, I think roughly. There's another one uh, out in Texas. There's a church called Watermark Church, and they have a, a, a restoration ministry where their statement is for any person on staff that has a moral failure they have basically a a written policy that says, we will take you through a restoration process where you will eventually, at the end of this, you'll have the opportunity to be restored back to your position. Wow. Almost regardless of what happens. Whoa! Whoa, whoa, whoa. Unless it's
0: like illegal and you're going to prison. Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. If
1: you're in prison, you're probably not going to be back in in ministry. But again, somebody that has um, Mm -hmm. some type of an affair, it could be a five-year process they have to go through, but they've taken pastors that have had major moral failures— Giving them positions on facilities while they're going. Hold through- on, hold on. On
0: facilities is in like cleaning toilets and stuff. Straight up, that's gangster. While they're going
1: through <laughs> like a gnarly I love restoration it. process, counseling, uh-huh. healing uh-huh. with whatever's going on. Yeah. And at the end, and they say a lot of them self-select out of the oh, process. Oh, of course they do. But from the church's standpoint, and Chris Brown has some rad stories about. There was a guy that actually stole a guitar from us, the church we were at in the movement. Uh-huh. That was one of their worship leaders. He was having a bunch of issues. He just stole one of our guitars, uh-huh. came into the church, um, and we caught him, called him out. He showed up on. He showed up to worship on one Sunday night with this like seven thousand dollar guitar, uh-huh. and all the worship leaders were geeking out on it. Like, where'd you get there? That's yeah. so rad. He made up this whole false story. Yeah. It all comes out. Yeah. Chris, well, and he'll probably tell the story in more detail. They put that dude through a restoration process, gave him a job in facilities. Walk him through like a year and a half long process to go, hey man, there's this thing you're dealing with where you're stealing stuff and trying to lead worship and like there's some you're issues. a thief, bro! <laughs> there's some issues in your heart, bro. But that dude is hold now, on. Do I
2: know who this person is? Yeah,
1: okay. That dude is a worship leader now at North Coast. Wow. Went through the whole process and wow. is amazing. And so I love that stuff. Anything okay. that goes, hey people are going to people yeah. and let's build systems that yeah. um don't create margin for their sin yeah. but also creates a process where they can just like anybody can can be restored yeah. I, I love that stuff
0: how interesting bro yeah wow wow so and is and there's and there's so if someone goes through an adultery and divorce they'll still walk through them Walk it through with them and, and re reestablish them.
1: Hundred percent. Wow. And again, it could be four or five years, but uh-huh. there is a thing that hey, at the end of this
0: road, could get to a place where um, you could be restored. I believe he's talking about Mike and Carter. It's public information who was restored after allegations of whoa of our, our grape, but he stepped down again. Okay, well that's another no can down. of worms. Um, when is it okay to address mm-hmm. politics at the pulpit?
1: Yeah, we address politics all the time. Um, we, we talk about politics regularly because the culture we live in is now politics and faith have become really blended. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a guy that said he was leaving the church because a couple weeks ago I preached a message. We were doing a f- series on 1 Corinthians 13 mm-hmm. and love is and how we are supposed to be what Jesus said. People who are marked and known by our love. That's mm-hmm. the defining thing. And I made a statement in the f- opening week talking about, you know, love is patient, mm-hmm. that some of you are going to be shocked when you get to heaven. There's Democrats in heaven and somebody literally wrote an an email, said that they're leaving the church (gasps) because how dare I stand up there with the audacity and say that. As somebody that's very right-leaning and Republican, um, the fact that you even... Like, we've gotten to a spot where our faith no longer informs our politics. Our politics is now informing our faith. And that's that's off. No matter where you land, left, right, in the middle, that's a huge miss. And so... We try to talk about politics a lot, but we are not the church. If you come and you want the like super right wing or the super liberal leaning, like you're just gonna be really frustrated by us because we don't take a hard stance on that. We believe that you know Democrats and Republicans, majority of the stuff, we want the same thing. Yeah, we want our kids to have an opportunity to grow up in a free country. Yeah, um, and have an opportunity of of life. So yeah, that's kind of wild,
0: bro. Yeah, it's wild. That's wild that. Like, we could disagree with Democrats politically or whatever, sure. but to assume that someone who's placed their faith in Jesus and maybe voted in a way that I would say doesn't align with some of the the values in Scripture is therefore then not saved? Yeah, man. Again, sort of <laughs> seriology. Like, how do you even know what the gospel is? No. Because the gospel doesn't say if you don't believe what you're supposed to believe politically, you're not saved. It says if you believe in Jesus... Yeah. As the propitiation for your sins, you are then declared saved. Right. So that's just so weird how we conflate those two things. You yeah, know? man.
1: Again, I think you said it, though. Most people don't know what they believe.
0: Yeah. Okay. Is there any other good ones in here before we I wrap I the it? one at the top. I think that's this an interesting one, right one. How do I navigate
1: being a motivated young believer to preach the gospel in a church who needs help but has no vision? Yeah. Uh, Eric, I would tell you, man, if you're a young, motivated person and you're in a church and you feel called to that church for this season, I would be willing to to be a part of it. You know, I think that we so often can check out when Mm -hmm. God might have you there for a specific reason, man. Plug in, see how you can help, uh, fix problems, you know. uh, Don't come in with all the solutions, but just go, hey, how can I help? How can I move this thing along? And at some point, if you outgrow it and you want to go somewhere else, do it, man. I think it's awesome.
0: Um, This is a good question. When did you realize uh, that becoming a pastor— or teaching the Word in some aspect was your calling, and was and what was the situation surrounding that? That's a great question.
1: Yeah, I think calling is, a, again, a very biblical thing that we see all over the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. That calling is... But it's also something that we've made hyper-supernatural, and I think calling is best understood as a combination of, like, desire. Like, mm-hmm. number one, you actually desire to do this, because mm-hmm. like you... Not everybody desires to mm-hmm. work at a church and deal with all the, the stuff that comes along with it. Mm-hmm. So if you desire it, you have the ability to do it, right? You act, And that's the part that people struggle with, is self-assessment isn't always strong. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think where the defining characteristic of this comes in is there's also opportunity. Mm-hmm. Where you're given opportunity, you desire to do it, and you're good enough to do it, I think mm-hmm. that is what is the very making of a calling. Mm-hmm. Um, for me specifically... It was a process that took over. It took years and years to play out. But it goes back to even when I was newly saved. I used to sit in church at the movement and have visions that I was like during worship. And I mm-hmm. didn't know what a vision was. Mm-hmm. Um, I had visions that I was preaching on that stage, um, and you know. Then I went through a process where God just started opening doors and started teaching and started to enjoy it mm-hmm. and. Had more doors open, and in that process, I started to go, "Oh, maybe this is what God's calling me to do." Because yeah. I really liked it, I really enjoyed it, yep. and I felt—I uh, just felt like the the peace of God yeah. on it.
0: Yeah. Well, and in, in, in your case, and I would say also like in Jeff Moore's case, you guys are both unicorns in that you're great communicators, but you also um, love shepherding people. Yeah. Like you—you you are naturally like pastoral. And you ask questions and you you're you're good with people. Um and you're good with like people's mess and people's processes. Yeah. Right. Where uh I don't have that same burden for people. Like I have a burden in like let me guide you. But the moment you start coming to me with the same problem over and over and we're, we're s- and we solved it <laughs> six months ago, I'm like, bro, you're yeah. wasting my time. You're not really trying to make a change, you're just playing games. Yeah. What are we doing here? Right. And I feel like there's a and correct me if I'm wrong, from my experience, there's a lot of that in church.
1: Yeah, no question, There's a man. lot
0: of people who—it's almost like they don't really want answers to their problems. They just want to vent to someone they feel is a spiritual authority. For sure. And, and I that, think, I, can't, I, don't, I can't play that game.
1: Yeah, and, and there's a level of that that's always a part of people, mm-hmm. right? And part of the challenge that I have now is at our scale, even, it's like, okay, how do I and who do I— do this with like mm-hmm. because just from a time standpoint i can't shepherd everybody in yes. our, our our community mm-hmm. so what do i do well I, the best advice i was ever given is uh, walk with those that want it mm. and love those that don't mm. and for that guy that same thing two or three times and i just go and there's guys in my life that you know potentially watch this that no i tell them hey bro Look, I know you're struggling with porn, and you think I'm somehow going to be the mystical resolution <laughs> because you've admitted it to me. Um, but look, here's what's going to happen between this appointment and the next appointment that we'll have: Yeah, you have to commit to two minutes a day of praying and reading your Bible. Yeah, and if you show up next did time you, in did you two say weeks, two minutes, some start somewhere. This yeah. is— <laughs> You gotta start somewhere, dog. You gotta start somewhere.
0: (laughs) It's been like you like you just gotta pray for two minutes a day, bro. (laughs) Dumb it down.
1: But again, if we show up in two weeks, the first question I'm gonna ask you is, did you for the last two weeks pray and read your Bible for two minutes a day? And if the answer is no, then the next meeting we have, Mm -hmm. I'll give you the same opportunity. And if it happens the third time, then at that point you don't really want my help. Yeah,
0: three strikes are out. Because I
1: I can't help you. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a therapist.
0: I'm a pastor. Yeah. Do you what, do you defer people to therapists and counselors all the time? Yeah. yeah.
1: And the cool part about being in a church our size is we have counselors yes, yeah. and therapists, licensed counselors, yeah. not just pastors that like counseling. Yeah. On staff. Yeah. And we have a budget for that. Yeah. We, it's a resource that we have. We have a whole ministry around yes. it, and so we can. So good because that's not brilliant. a pastor's
0: job necessarily.
1: Well, and there's a lot of things that, again, as a pastor, I'm not trained in that. Yeah. I'm not qualified to mm-hmm. walk through somebody's childhood trauma with mm-hmm. them. Can I relate? Can I share shared experiences with Mm -hmm. them? Can I pray with them? Mm -hmm. Can I be a a place to listen? Yes and amen. But at some point, for me to walk through all the childhood trauma I walked through, it took a year. Every week with a licensed therapist that, as I look back, she methodically walked me through a process to get me to healing. Yeah, And I never could have done that. And so... That's where, as pastors, it's like, man, don't don't do or don't try to be what you aren't. And yeah. Even if you don't have the context, whether you have pastors or you know counselors on staff, find a great resource that you can plug in with. There are big churches around you that have counselors that you can reach out to. Yeah. When I was here, I used to send them all to North Coast North Calvary Coast Chapel. Calvary.
0: Yeah, North Coast Calvary Chapel here. That's right. In, what is that, Carlsbad? Carlsbad technically, they yeah. have a great program. Here's yeah. a good question: How do you handle the topic of, uh, sex in the church to not make a taboo, but a gift from God?
1: Yeah, I think you have to just talk about it. Talk about it for what it is. It's a beautiful gift that God's given us. It's something that we, as the church, should be the leading voices on. And mm-hmm. we talk the most about it. It's the greatest gift God gave humanity. Yeah, that literally is the thing that took them from being one and made them, or took them into being two individuals and made them into one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I think we need to talk a lot about it. I think the, the cool part is, is um, your buddy. I'm blanking on his name that has the podcast "Upset the Graham."
0: Oh, Tim Ross, Pastor Tim Ross. He's yep. been
1: talking very openly about it. Yeah, he does stuff. a good job. And dude, it's awesome. Yes. I love it. And I think the church needs to be, we have to move away from the weird, this is taboo, we can't talk about this stuff yeah. in church. And
0: yeah. All right. Uh, I think we're going to start wrapping up. This might be the last question, unless you want to do. Unless you see anything else in here. I'll scroll through the questions one more time. We've got cool. a tongues question. Someone asked about oneness apostolic, uh, oneness Pentecostal, which I really don't want to get into unless you want to talk about that. But here's a good question. I, this is a conversation I find interesting. Yeah. Why are we seeing a rise... Of sort of of sort of feminist concepts within the church, is this why young men are not attracted to church and why the divorce seems to be the same in church and outside the church? Which it's not, by Wait, the way. I wasn't say that's not a <clears> true <throat> true that's statistic. not true. Yeah, practicing Christians who make above uh, the average income, the 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 higher the income and the more active you are in faith, are statistically the least likely to get divorced. This is an unequivocal fact that the red pill community unfortunately always admits, and it's gross that they do this, but if you're a practicing Christian, if you're a virgin or have had less than a few partners, and if you uh, make above whatever the average income is, mm. the higher your income, the least likely you are to get divorced. Where so I think if income alone flat at about like twenty percent once you make a certain amount, and then when you're practicing, yeah. go to church, and you have a lower body count, lower number of partners, yeah. it, it completely d- dissipates.
1: Well, and there's one practice that essentially divorce proves yeah. your entire Prayer, right? marriage. Yeah, praying daily with yep. your spouse yep. Yep. is almost again. There, there's almost no divorces of couples who literally pray together every day. Yep. So. Um, that's a kind of a two-part question. The first part that he's talking about is seeing a rise in feminist concepts within the church. Is this why young men are not attracted? I I think yes and amen. I think the biggest thing, again, I'm I'm reading through the book of Genesis because we're going to be teaching it coming up, is God so clearly made man and female, and there's order, there's structure, there's reason, there's design behind it. Yeah, Um, And... It, it, the reality is is the husbands can either lead their home or Satan can lead their home. Like Those are the two options. Come on. Right? And you see that all the way back in the very beginning. And yep. so a lot of what's happened, though, is men have shirked away from their responsibilities as the leaders in the church, the leaders in their homes. And so women have just done their best to step up and try to fill that gap. And we're now living in a culture that has moved further and further into this and has exasperated the problem to a point that I think we need to recommunicate to culture there's a, there's a biblical mandate for men. Yeah. Men and women are different. Difference not good or bad. It's just yeah. different. Yeah. And we have different roles to play, mm-hmm. but men have to be the leader. They mm-hmm. have to be the ones to pick up the mantle and go this is our responsibility. It's yeah. the curse that was placed on us in the garden of Eden that mm-hmm. we are the ones that are going to work and toil mm-hmm. and wrestle through that stuff and we can't just take that and throw it on our wives yeah. and make them do it. And yeah. so I, I believe one of the paths of even as the, the guy was asking the Gen Z question, we need biblical manhood to come back and yeah. to go. But again, what is biblical manhood? It's mm-hmm. not this red pill, hyper, you know, manly dude that, you know, has a beard and shoots guns and votes yeah. Republican. It's yeah. like,
0: really. There's m- nothing wrong with doing those things. No, you know, I do all, of things, do all those You do all those things. <laughs> <laughs> that's, why I, that's why I moved from this California. This man got a lot of, got a lot of firearms lately. You better and believe
1: gentlemen. that. There's a reason I stayed in Arizona. Yeah. Um, but, again, I think just biblical manhood of going, this is who we are. This yep. is what we do. And yep. it's not bad. It's an amazingly beautiful thing that God has created
0: yeah. with intention. Yeah, and this is stuff we've talked about for years. In our group, Dude. we talked about masculinity. We've been saying
1: this stuff for a decade. Yeah.
0: So that's the part that, to me, was always hilarious with like the, the rise of all this red pill stuff. And I'm just kind of like, yeah. like, first of all, the church has been talking about this. In our local context, we've been talking about Biblical masculinity. We've been talking about learning how to provide for your for your home. That's we've right. been talking about how to allow your wife the opportunity to stay home with the kids, um, especially when they're little kids. Yeah. Like we've been saying this stuff for fifteen years, man. Yeah. So the fact that this stuff is like now mainstream, I, I just think is hilarious, you know. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think there's there's truth to all that. I think what happens though in some of these other like you said secular conversations when you remove the gospel from it, then it becomes a self-defeating process of go out and be a pickup artist and learn game and learn how to pick up girls. Oh yeah. and by the way the nuclear family matters and you know what I mean virgins are popular. It's like wait a minute you are deflowering all the virgins or girls that are next to virgins yeah. with this stupid ideology that you say is a pr- it's so backwards. If you actually care about that topic then you would marry a woman and and like love her well and lead her well. Like that's yeah. how that would look, not uh, not what you see. And I'm not saying he's coming from that perspective, but that's a lot of this stuff on, on that end of the world, uh, that end of the spectrum within the red pill space. And so, um, yeah, I, I don't know.
1: Yeah, man, again, I, I, part of what we did in that group every Monday was we raised the bar to what I think the minimum biblical standards are mm-hmm. to just go, hey, we, we need accountability. We need people to help us walk this thing out. And the part that always blew my mind is every time the church tried to send us more people in a small group, the feedback was always that our group was too intense and we didn't have a high enough like attrition rate. Yeah. Because we would help pull people to a standard and go, look, mm-hmm. man, we're going to do a 10-week session. And we asked you not to miss more than twice. And yeah, or you, are do, you get kicked out. You're not coming back. Mm-hmm. And people go, oh, it's just too hard of a standard. But the basic premise is Show up every week, bro. That's too hard. <laughs> this, will, this will be a microcosm of the rest of your life. Yeah, if you're not showing up here, I promise you're not showing up in other places. Yeah but that again i think is something that we just need
0: these voices need to be amplified right a newlywed how do i incorporate prayer with my wife and bible study with my family
1: yeah i would say do it in any way that you're able to make it happen and i know it's not a specific enough answer but i i think figure out a way a rhythm that works with you and your wife and your family that could be at dinner that could be at the end of the night that could be in the morning whatever it takes for you to make it happen also understanding It's gotten better over time, but for me, the most uncomfortable person for me to pray with has always been my spouse. I don't know what it is, but it's the most unnatural. It's the most difficult thing to get into the rhythm of. Mm -hmm. Um, But once you do it, and I think it's Craig Rochelle that always says, if you ever miss a day of praying with your wife, just don't miss two. Mm. Right, like make sure you don't go more than two or three days without praying with your spouse. It's it's okay when stuff happens, but. Figure out a way to make it
0: happen. Yeah. It, it, and it is hard. There's something about praying with your spouse. Dude, it that's is. Just, it's just, just weird. Tough. It's tough. I don't and know I what just, it is.
1: I think answer that tension and just yeah. acknowledge it and even tell her, hey, I'm trying to figure this out and, yeah. and just figure it out together. I think that's the the beauty of, yeah. of marriage.
0: Oneness Pentecostalism. Are you familiar? No. Oneness, oneness view of the Trinity. You're not familiar? I mean, superficially. Yeah. Uh, it's an error. That's it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an error. Okay. <laughs> uh, don't be an error. That's right. Um, if you need resources... Uh, there's a lot of really good teaching about the, the the Trinity and and Jesus not being created, Him being co-eternal, yeah. um, Him not being a thought of God, Him not you know. Uh, there's a lot of it's resources. It, it's it, it is yeah, Mormonism kind of has similar views of like Jesus being yeah. like created and not being eternal. Um, and so I would say spend some good time studying the Godhead mm. and 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 explore that. And if you see your church preaching something that's against what is historical Christianity? That's right. I say you got to bounce. You know what I mean. And by historical Christianity, I just mean like oneness. The the view of oneness or modalism is the minority view, and it's it's a relatively modern view. There was a slight, uh, a couple a uh, couple hundred years into the church, the heresy sprouted up, and it instantly got shut down. And then down the road, uh, it, it didn't really resurge until about a hundred. 150 years ago Like Mm. it's relatively And I'm weary of anything That's relatively modern Young earth creationism Relatively modern The rapture Relatively modern One is Pentecostalism Relatively modern um, I could keep going. A lot of the when, when anything, when like the church for two thousand years has believed one thing, and then somebody comes along and be like, "Nah, I got the revelation." <laughs> yeah. And by the way, we're the only ones that got it right, and everybody else got it wrong, and they're all corrupt. Like that. That's that's, that's a dangerous position. Super culty vibes yeah. to me on any on any issue. By the way, on any issue. So, um, just be weary of that. Like, if your sect or your camp picks plucks one thing out and yeah. says the rest of Christendom. Is wrong Are everyone's Thousands wrong. Guys that know the original language, guys yeah. that you know what I mean, everyone else is wrong, but your camp because then it gets into like really like conspiratorial type thinking no and, and they pulled the wool over your eyes and right and it's all corrupt. I would just be very, very, very weary of that. Uh yeah. because it's if it's not found in historical Christianity, it's there's not a consensus on it. I would just say be very, very careful of that. And um and and, and go and actually look at what What is what did the early church believe? What did the church fathers believe? What did the reformers believe? Right? What do all these great thinkers believe? And you'll find that the Trinity, at the very least, the divinity and co-eternality with Jesus—that's unanimous. Like that's been settled for thousands of years. My brother Truther talks is in here. He comes from a oneness background, and so Truther, uh, I would check out Truther's channel. Maybe reach out to him. Truther might be more uh, more of a resource on this than than um, you know than than. then you may you then then I will be, but there's a lot of guys that have came out of it that I think would be very helpful. Ivan said I think you but you might be a little spoiled in by your local church. I've seen that there's absence of deep teaching for men and mentors. Yeah, hey Ivan, and I'm very honest about this. I have I have a, a selection bias. Yeah. I have selection bias with the way we talked about manhood. I have selection bias with the way we talked about marriage and a lot of young men getting married and people still getting married. How many couples you know that have been married within the last two years? A lot. I know at least a dozen. A lot, yeah. At least a dozen. So, I absolutely have a selection bias, but my 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 pushback would be like, "Well, shouldn't we study the outliers?" Yeah. Like if you want to get married, shouldn't you study people that got married? <laughs> if you want to
2: no have a great
0: local church, shouldn't you listen to the people that went to a great local church, right? Yeah. Um anyway, uh, manipulation being manipulated by oh, I mean, you could talk about this for You can talk about this for hours, man. We got to protect some people in this conversation. But, yeah, I mean, we've gone through – you say it because I don't want to get in trouble.
1: Again, man, I think leadership manipulation is a very subtle thing. That's If you're new in your faith, that's when I would have the biggest uh, alarm bells there because that's typically what happens. Most people seasoned in their faith can see through a lot of the things. They can smell what's there. Um, but e- either way, I think you should, I just walked, walked through this with a friend of mine that was looking at a pastor job and he was calling me to go, Hey man, there was these things that happened in the interview process that was like, I don't know about this. What do you think about this? And I was like, dog, I'm telling you there's smoke all over this thing. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you where, but I'm, there's fire somewhere. Mm-hmm. These fools made him, uh, they gave him an offer letter but they wouldn't send it to him. They wouldn't email him the offer letter. They made him show up in person. Mm-hmm. They slid it across the table with the number mm-hmm. and then they took it away from him, gave him an hour to make a decision. Whoa. And I was like, just that process? So that's weird. Completely bizarre. Completely weird. Normal churches don't do this stuff. It's very, hey, this is who we are. The whole So have people in your life that you can go to and ask questions mm-hmm. um, and you know, just realize people are people. But I also think 90% of the pastors out there, man, are incredibly faithful people that are Mm -hmm. just trying to do their best. And I think sometimes they'll unintentionally make poor decisions. Mm -hmm. They will allow fear to creep into their minds. Like everybody can go, oh man, I, I have to hold on to this. I can't be open-handed with Mm -hmm. leaders Mm -hmm. because the the money's going to go away. And then if my message is like, they're just human. So give people margin for error, realize that we all have the propensity to control and make mistakes.
0: Yeah, and and I would also add just because someone is around people or or is a part of someone that was manipulative, that doesn't mean everyone in that institution is the same way. 100%. Because sometimes people don't know, sometimes and that's when I said we you know, protect people. I'm talking about people that were around that weren't necessarily complicit. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they got hurt in the process too. Yep. So I think we have to be uh I think we also have to be careful in that. Um, all right, man, any final thoughts, final final words of encouragement before we get out of here? You could look into that camera right there up above, the one right there, and talk I, to the people.
2: I,
1: I think the biggest thing that, that I would say to all of you is even on channels like this, like, man, I, I wish that as a newer Christian that there was resources like this. I mean, when I was first saved, there's a there's an amazing resource out there called gotquestions.org where it wasn't even a website back then. It was literally a book that they printed, and I would go to that to to seek answers and to find Um, clarification on things I didn't understand, use all of these amazing YouTube guys that are out there and girls that are trying to do God's work and create opportunities for these discussions to happen. It's a beautiful resource that I think the church needs, that I think some combination of all of this is what the church looks like in the future. Um, But also, my biggest thing to you, if you're not connected to a local church— is find one, figure out a way to get plugged in, because the local church is how your life will transform, whether it's a church of 60 or a church of
0: 60,000. Uh, 60,000 is a big number. It's but big number. Um, it's The Mike Todd numbers right f- there. Find
1: a place where you can be plugged in and use resources like this to vet it and and walk through it, but don't let this be your primary community, yes. because it's, it's not, and yes. it can be part of the lie that the enemy uses for you. This should be a a supplement yeah. to the community that you have.
0: Yeah, we use that We use that in terminology a lot. This is a supplement. This is not your sustenance. Yeah. Your sustenance is the Word of God, your relationship with God, you getting into a local church. Where can they find yeah. you? What church do you go to? Um, what church are you pastoring at? And, yeah. and how could they find you?
1: yeah rock point church gilbert arizona um, my website is daniel got everything latest messages and all that stuff are on there um, instagram is probably where i'm most active daniel m goulding on there would love to connect with anybody and answer any questions that i have is somebody that loves the local church even though she is a, a
0: messy bride in the right light there you go ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for watching this if you enjoyed this check out daniel Goulding on all platforms check out the church Pull up in person. Come say hello. Shake his hand. He's actually an amazing human. And uh, we will be back tomorrow with some more videos. In the meantime, if you want to partner with us, if you want to help us continue, contextualizing the gospel and stay independent so I I don't got to do goofy brand deals and sell you guys (laughs) VPNs and razors, uh, partner with us on Patreon. That's the best way to support what we're doing. All right? Here's a little preview of my new song, and we're out of here. Love you guys. Peace. Hey, you may not know I make music, but I have a brand new song that just came out. Here's a quick preview.
2: I went from being a porn addict to sharing the gospel with a porn actress who was criticized for being low status by the same only fans who treat us so lavish. I'm confused. I swear, y'all thought he did doing podcasts, hot takes. He's still can rap.
0: Now, this is my first song that I've released in over a year, so I need you to go to Spotify. Apple Music or wherever you consume music and stream too soon right now. Add it to your favorite playlist, share it with a friend. So hit the link in the description or go to RuslanToTheMoon.com to stream too soon now. I'll see you over there.
2: Oh, they got me with their dramatics. You know that a moment cannot be static too soon. Ruslan.